Scoop, you know what? For the record, man, I'm actually proud of your Kendrick Lamar choice. Oh, he said proud. You might get, hey, you might get a Hallmark card in the mail. Wow. This is this is an award I never expected. I don't, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't even know who to thank. Oh, my you God. Sound, you sound like you're giving your speech. <laughs> I mean, Jahan is proud of me. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur, the Music Snobs. This is episode 26 of the Music Snobs podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined, as always, by Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. Today is Guest Snob Day. This is a long time, almost almost like a Zodiac kind of Guest Snob put together with the, the great. talented, the great, multi-instrumentist, multi-instrumentist. Fifth Beatles. <laughs> Damn, you can't even say the word. No, he can play the instrument. Yeah, yeah, I'm so yeah, excited. The word. I feel like Jimmy Fallon. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> Nicholas Payton. Yo, what's up, cats? I want to thank you for joining us. How's the uh, how's, how's the Sketches album doing? It's cool. It's it's cool. Um, I think it'll pick up some more traction because we actually have some gigs mm-hmm. coming up uh, late summer, early fall, and putting some other things together too so i think that'll give the album a little more life uh, and nick just so you i ain't putting a shot out there but you know uh spain uh sketches was uh on my top 10 albums of oh. 2013 oh did you oh, know wow. that did you know that you were our uh 2013 snob of the year oh you didn't know that did you oh for where you didn't yeah. get the plaque <laughs> no, no, I didn't get that. You got the right address? John, 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 John what's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a lot to cover today, so let's get to it. Uh, today's first topic, we call it the legendary. It, well, first, how did they get that name? Was that self? That's self. self. Right, oh, everything right. is self-generated. Okay, all, right, all right, that's how you want to make sure. So we ask, are the roots still considered to be the standard bearer for pure musicianship and avant-garde hip-hop? Or... Are they now simply a talk show band? After being called up from Late Night with Jimmy Fallon to The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. When, when Jimmy Fallon took over the uh, Late Show from Conan? Yes. Yes. That was like five years ago. So they were... That was 98. That was... Not, I mean, uh, no, 2008. No, no. 2008. 2008, 2009. And he, they were with him immediately. Immediately. Yes. Okay. Because I remember that was part of his like... You he know, went to get the roots. Right. And that was part of his, his house band. His, the attraction to him at the beginning was that the roots were with him. Right. right. And I thought it was temporary, but was it temporary? Was it supposed to be temporary or what? Well, it could very well be that, you know, it was for a season and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Nicholas, you know what? It's funny if you talk about that. I'm just hitting it. It's just hitting me right now. Nicholas, you can speak to this because you might know a little bit more about something like this than we do because of what Branford did with uh, Jay Leno. From mm-hmm. a musician standpoint, especially when you come from a background like, you know, the Marcellus background in New Orleans, does, how is that looked upon? Or are we just being snobs uh, by even talking you mean, about it? In, in, you mean in the musical community? Yeah, like what's the basically, vibe? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think there's any um, backlash as far as cats feeling like somehow you're, you're illegitimized as a result of taking that type of gig. Um 
I think to some degree it might be coveted, you know, okay. to, particularly amongst, uh, you know, because traveling, man, you know, once you get of a certain age, man, it, it's a bitch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of being able to go to the same place every day, five days a week or whatever, especially if you have have a family and kids and all this, you know, the idea of, of having that study check and not having to deal with airplanes and, and, mm-hmm. and so forth. That that becomes appealing, I think, at a certain point. Um, I think from a musical standpoint, in terms of the integrity, it's all, I think that's based on what you have the latitude to do creatively. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like it's, a, it's an actual gig. You're a part of a format and you're a part of a show. Um, I know with what I do know of, of uh, Branford's time at... Uh, the Tonight Show, uh, early on he had a lot of latitude uh, in terms of uh, the music he played and what he was able to present and how he presented it. Matter of fact, I remember one time uh, I was out in L.A. playing with Elvin Jones and me and the flautist Kent Jordan, we just stopped by to, to watch a taping and Branford invited me to sit in and I played the whole the whole show with them. Mm-hmm. So... You know, just on the fly, and you know, let me take solos, and okay. I got an introduction and so forth. And Branford wow. was doing a lot of that at that time. Okay, having having guests come up, and you know, featuring them. And I know that that uh, had a quite a positive effect on those artists' careers because overnight they could sell, I don't, you know, thousands of records mm-hmm. just from taking a solo, you know, for mm-hmm. a couple of couple of minutes on, you know, on, on a major network. So. Uh, yeah, there are there. It's benefits, but the flip side is is that you know you're you're kind of forced to to sort of exist within a construct. Right. It's interesting because if you look at the history of the genre of this, uh, you look at kind of like me. I look at like the flip side of it is that you had someone like Paul Schaefer who was producing, you know, dance slash disco music, doing the Weather Girls and all this and the other. When he took over for David Letterman, that kind of pushed him away from doing. And producing the music that he was doing But at the same time You know you look at Doc Severson And he led Johnny Carson's band For years and years and years But at the same time Doc would still hold gigs down In Los Angeles Still you know had his jazz band And still stayed true To not necessarily recording music The way he was But still had his foot In the everyday grind Of creating you know And, and doing jazz in spots Along Los You know in, in and outside of Los Angeles uh, I, I don't. I, I, I do the roots, tonight. Though. The Tonight Show band, when when uh, Branford was a part of it, at least uh, his sidemen, they were quite active okay. on the LA yeah. scene as well. They had a regular weekly gig, and they were also doing yeah. record dates. Because I remember when we did uh, the Mark Whitfield record, True Blue. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. had Tane and uh, Kenny. Jeff Tane. Def- so, Jeff Tane. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What? My man. They, they were in the band, though, right? They were in the Tonight Show band. It was Branford, Kenny Kirkland, Robert Hurst. Tane mm-hmm. Watts. So he picked his own bandmates. Right. Does, let's look at the Tonight Show and Jimmy, and, and, and Jimmy Fallon and the Roots as a house band in the prime slot of American late night television. This is like the gold standard of it all, right? Do the Roots legitimize Fallon as a host by making him look cool? In, in, hip? in 2008 or 2009, yes. And in 2014, I think. I well, don't know. Well, I think or, it depends or, on who or, you ask, but go ahead. Or I, I does Fallon legitimize the roots as it, a, it as may, a true it band? It may be subject to the law of diminishing returns, whereby people are now used to him and any kind of quote-unquote cool quotient he's already been awarded. 
Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it, it may be that we now look at him as cool, etc. But the fact that he still uses them integrally as part of the show, you know, consistently with sketches and asides and skits, etc. Um, they're still very, very much part of the show and he still depends on them in that way. So I think he's certainly acutely aware that, you know, there's, there's something of a partnership here. You know, I, I agree with everything with, that John just said because, you know, he does use them integrally, you know, in the skits and everything. But from a musical standpoint, if I was the Roots, I would say now is the time to get out simply because to me, and this topic really resonated with me when I saw... I think it was a week, uh, you know, a couple shows, maybe about a week or so ago where, you know, I saw some of these skits and they are very, you know, the roots, uh, specifically Questlove and Black Thought, which I don't think Jimmy calls him Black Thought. No, he, he calls, calls him Tariq. 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 And he's like super marginalized in this in his role. Mm. Right. And I'm like, why is the brother not Black Thought anymore? But anyway, so that's a side note. <laughs> well, his but, name is Tariq. Trevor, I mean, right? I know, right, but, but I'm like, Questlove's Quest name is, is Amir. Amir. Right. You know what I'm saying? He, he doesn't call him Amir. Did uh, NBC say we can't call the it's, brother it's, Black it's Thought? That, it's, it's the black part. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Exactly. And it would surprise <laughs> me if the producers were like, hey, it'd be better if we called him Tariq instead of Black Thought. And he's not going to call him Thought. <laughs> yeah. No, my point was that you know, and we've had Scoop and I've had this conversation before. Anytime you're a black anything in this country, it comes with a certain amount of weight. The Roots just weren't a hip hop group. You know, they get a lot of uh, a lot of fame for their musicality, but they were also political to a certain degree. They had a, a sharp political edge to a lot of stuff they did. Now, when I see uh, like last week or the week before, the chick. Uh, What's her name? Chelsea something. She's a uh, talk show host herself. Handler. Yeah, Chelsea Handler. She was. She got you know a lot of flack. Uh, she was doing something during the grant or the uh, or the Oscars. She was tweeting live during the Oscars, and she said some borderline racist stuff about uh, uh, my girl Lapita. Um, you know, she just made some jokes that were just really kind of like in bad taste. So she mm-hmm. caught, you know, she caught some hell in the media for the next few days after that. When she comes on the stage on the Tonight Show. The Roots play this song. I forgot which track it was, but it's basically like I was misunderstood. That was the you know the jam they put on. You know I was misunderstood, but to me I'm like, hold up, y'all. That it just didn't feel right. It's like y'all should be saying something about this. It's almost like they were handing her a pass in their role as the Tonight Show band. That combined with when I see you know Tariq and Questlove in these skits and the skits are funny you know what i'm saying it's like you know i've seen you know where they Black do the, and Garfunkel. when they do the uh the the spanish like soap opera thing you know what i'm saying it's funny but it's like i think it's time for y'all to get out because it's like now you start to become a you really start to become comical to me in a way that i don't know if i can take you seriously another way and the fact that but they Isaac, haven't put yeah, 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 on the flip side though yeah on the flip side, when Michelle Bachman, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's, Michelle yeah, that's Bachman, what I was going to say. That's what you can say. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. No, go ahead. No. Well, when she, you know, when she guested on uh, or appeared on Fallon, they played line ass bitch when she walked out. Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Oh, yeah. You know what? You told me about that. How long ago was that? That was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. I, and that's my point is that maybe they're getting, you know, the longer you stay in something like that and the more money you make. You know well, what I'm saying? The, long, it, the, the the more dangerous it gets for you to, okay. or harder it gets for you to walk away from it. I agree. But in this specific case, let's just get, is is Michelle Bachman, is she a, what's her relationship with Jimmy Fallon? And what's Chelsea Hanley's relationship with Jimmy Fallon? See, that plays a role in it. If, if yeah, Jimmy Fallon is not really cool with Michelle, but has her on as a guest, then they'll do that. 
But if, if Chelsea and Jimmy are cool, they're not, you know, they're not going to really, they're not going to do that because his relationship with her is bigger than anything the Roots are going to say. Right. Or moreover, what's her relationship with NBC? Here's the thing with, with anything like that. It's like politics, you know, like, you know, to me, just from a conceptual standpoint, like you can start thinking that, well, if if I'm able to get this uh, level of exposure to, to something that I feel is not a part of the mainstream, if I make these concessions, then I'll have a wider platform to present some of the things that I feel should be part of the mainstream. But what you have to do to get on that platform and the sacrifices you have to make and the certain things you have to compromise to get there, once once you get to that place, maybe those things cease to be important to you mm-hmm. anymore. Mm. You know, like a politician who, you know, like, you know, by the time you get to be president of the United States, like there are certain things that you have to do before you even up for that gig. Mm-hmm. Right. By the time you get there, like, do you still have that fire anymore? The things that were important to you 10 years ago before you set out to be the point. mayor or to be a whatever, mm. then you get you there, the you've made person? so many compromises and made so many backroom deals and, right. and Nick, you know, Nick, and this is why, did all this, this kind of why, stuff. Like, this is why I say they should get out now because I agree with you. They, you know, they've compromised. I mean, we all compromise. Anybody who deals with any type, any level of corporate America as black folks, we compromise. But I agree with you. They've compromised. They've done X, Y, and Z to get to this point. If I think if they want to be respected at the level, because right now they're on the verge of being a better late night talk show band than they were a hip hop band. You know what I'm saying? If they keep going on like this. And I think that now is I think now is the good time to, to kind of like piggyback on Nick's point. Now is a good time for them to walk away and kind of enjoy the fruits of what they built before it gets to the point where they don't have the fire to do that. But, or, you know, showing Isaac, up at, at Isaac, let me ask you, what what about their output pre Jimmy Fallon? compared to their output during Jimmy Fallon. What I, when I talk about their output, what I'm talking about is the albums they release, the tours that they go on, et cetera. What, what, and that's what, what I was about, about to get yeah, to. That's, right. like, that's, yeah, all, that's exactly what I was yeah, gonna, What yeah, about go their output pre-Jimmy Fallon versus their output during Jimmy Fallon is different. How do you feel that their albums are compromising? They still... You know, I'll let, I'll let, I'll let Scoop speak to that, but I will say mm-hmm. real quick, to Nick's point, I think it's starting to wane. That's what I'm saying. I think it's, yeah, w- the last time I put out was like two years ago, maybe three years but ago. They did something with Elvis Costello yeah. and then they did Undone before that. And I think Undone and the, the album they did with uh, the project they did with Elvis Costello are the only, if I'm wrong, the only two projects I know about that they've done since they've done since Jimmy they've Fallon. Jimmy. Well, now, no, they did the Betty Wright thing. John Legend. There was a John Legend project. There was a John Legend the John, John Legend one, the Betty project. Wright That was just, that was, that was, wasn't it just one or was that whole, whole, that was whole album? album. Okay. The Betty right. Wright yeah. uh, one. Yeah, they've they done, yeah. and they're working on another one now and then you shoot your cousin. Yeah, they're working on another one. I forgot the initials to it, the acronym, Mr. Acronym or something. But to me, I was about to say, Jahan. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. No, Jahan, I was about to say, uh, are we being premature on judging them without really hearing, like, what their next project is and looking at their body of work inside of what they've done since Jimmy Fallon? Um, So so I'm I'm in line to agree with what you said. Uh, Subjectively, I think, and it's all subjective here, I think... That subjectively, I don't feel the work has been as stellar. I don't think it's been as focused. I, I don't think it's been as engaging. I don't think it's been as urgent as what they've done, you know, prior to Jimmy Fallon. Personally, I, I've been questioning a lot of stuff they did since Rozelle left the group. Personally, that, but that's just me. But I'm saying right now, 
let's see what their next project is. I, I think, you know, let's see what they do next. Let's see what they can really come up with from a creative standpoint on this next full Roots project. Not with, you know, John Legend, not with Elvis Costello, not, you know, trying to patch things together, you know, with the undone. Let's really see what they come up with, you know, as a project before before we jump to conclusion whether or not, you know, they quote unquote sold their soul. Yeah, I I agree with that to some extent. I almost think, to be honest with you, that the that the question is fundamentally flawed in the first place. Um, I think there's a huge amount of distance between being, you know, the so-called standard bearers for musical hip hop um, or being avant-garde. Um, there's a huge amount of distance between that and then them being just quote unquote a talk show band. You know, it's not you. You needn't have one or the other. Um, they, you know, they were they were always alive. But if you're positioning yourself to just be as one, like Isaac said, if what you're doing is kind of eclipsing what you're, you know, if one is eclipsing the other and you're trying to do both, then. But I don't think it is eclipsing it because I don't think I don't think the roots are the type of band that gain new fans in any meaningful quantity. I think if you look at their sales, for example, over the last five, six, seven albums. They've all been in the same sort of category. They've all been between 100 and 200,000 copies in the US. You know, I see the same people at, at Root shows. I think Questlove will tell you he's got an incredibly loyal, diehard following that doesn't really change album to album. It's the people, you know, it's the Grateful Dead kind of thing. People will come and see them time and time and time again. So I think whether or not they're with Fallon, I don't think they're, I, I think with Fallon, they've got more of a chance of expanding their audience than without them. See, I agree with that. Because well, here's the thing for me, like, like what, what essentially are we talking about? Because to me, like when it comes down to it, like music is music. Like, you know, you know, in terms of genre or what you're playing, like if you're on your instrument and you're playing and you're hitting every night and you're connected to the source of whatever, wherever you draw inspiration from, like to me that ultimately shouldn't matter. Like I think like if I had a nine to five job where I was clocking in and I was, you know, had these set things to do or not do, is that going to change who I am musically ultimately? Like what are the things that I'm doing? What things that I can either be involved in or not involved in are ultimately ultimately going to impact my musical output. Like to me, it shouldn't have an effect. It, it doesn't. It's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that it has to. Hmm. It just depends on why you're doing what you're doing. Like why you're taking that gig. When you have that gig, what are you going to use that platform for? What are the benefits? At what point? You know, as as y'all mentioned, like at what point are you going to check out? Like if if you reach a reach a certain platitude, OK, that's enough. Or am I here for the long haul and just here to be here and do whatever, you know, whatever, um, you know, I'm here to, you know, till this runs its course. Um, you know, and I know they faced a similar thing. Remember back when they did the. uh the thing with Jay Z for uh, unplugged, mm, unplugged, unplugged, yeah, and 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 I remember reading where there was some reticence, you know, on Quest part, like should we do this? Because Jay Z at that time he was like number one sort of main, mainstream hip hop artist mm. because the Roots had a primarily underground following. Like for them to do this with Jay Z, like would that be would that sort of 
put a stain on who, their who they are. reputation. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. At least it was within the genre. So them coming from that at that time, like if they were offered a foul, and I would imagine that they probably would have said no. And this is just me, my you know, me guessing. Mm-hmm. Given that that was an issue, so to make the leap for them at that point to go to Jay Z, now then to make the leap from you know hip hop to being on television five nights a week on a, a major talk show, that's an even bigger leap, and they've that's been more of a, a, a an environmental change than you know one record or one night with Jay Z. I think there's a Outside lot of value, of, but but John a minute ago, John, you said that. Uh, you feel that you know they have a better chance of expanding their audience with Fallon, right? Yes. So if they haven't expanded that in the last five or six years beyond just the underground following that they had before, I think mm-hmm. first of all, I think Quest has you know gotten a lot you know out of this Fallon thing. I think that you know mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. from a album selling standpoint, but from a popularity getting on the cover of well, magazines. I think he had that beforehand. He had all that. Rolling yeah, he had it beforehand, but I think it's been greatly. I think it's been greatly enhanced yeah. by his visibility. But to me, what's the point in expanding but my, my question, your audience? But my question though is that. If we just take that, you know, just putting our business hats on and say they have a better chance of expanding their audience with Fallon, it hasn't happened in five or six years. I don't see it happening because the people who are watching Fallon are not buying Roots albums. Okay, but Fallon is Fallon, right? Hold on, hold on. They're satisfied with seeing seeing Quest on Late Night. But this is why. Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, that's one thing. The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, that's a completely different... That's true. Uh, audience that, that, remains, that remains to be seen. That remains to be seen. Is it no, though? It's the Tonight it? Show yeah, is the Tonight Show. One, no, because one of the main things that NBC is concerned about, and even though he's gotten great ratings over the last couple weeks, was whether that traditional Tonight Show fan base was going to stay with him or that they were going to go to David Letterman. That remains to be seen. I so, think he's getting a new, younger audience. Right, but I'm saying that audience that was with him followed. Television has changed a lot from the standpoint that my family, at least the first week, we watched every one of those uh, Tonight Show episodes. But we didn't watch them live. We watched them the next day on, on Hulu. Hulu. Mm-hmm. So because of the accessibility has changed, it gives the opportunity. We'll see if it resonates or translates to this, but it gives the opportunity for younger children in particular to see the roots no. that they make. Well, hold on, hold on. No, I'll hold tell on. you. I'll tell you why. They in a may, second. Go they, ahead. Because see, here's the thing: we're talking about children having the opportunity mm-hmm. to see a black band and play not, on television, and they're not. when there are very few black bands in existence. We did a whole show about the disappearance of black bands. Now, the roots on record try to sound like drum machines and sequencers. That's like their sound on record. But when you see them live, particularly when you see them live behind who? Two Change. You see them live behind possibly Justin Timberlake. They join in with you too, which was actually dope. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, what I'm saying is you see them behind uh, musical artists that younger kids can relate to and then the roots are behind them. Something that they don't that they really don't see and you hear the roots as a band as but a you know what Arthur the, pro- the question I have is I'm starting to think that they may be kind of sinking into that background in other words they're becoming a part of the set a piece of furniture and to your point about the kids here's the thing the issue I have with that is that and this is another concern the NBC has articulated other than you know the older generation these younger kids they're not only not watching it live they're not even watching it on Hulu they're watching YouTube and what they're getting is the clips mm-hmm. of the skits that he does 
and maybe some musical groups, but they're not seeing, you know, the roots in like a concert, you know what I'm saying? Like a band setting. They're not yeah, getting that you, feeling. Unless they're backing somebody up. And even then they're in the background. I, you know, I'm saying, I mean, let me, let me, let me make it. It's like, I'm agreeing with you and disagreeing right, with you. Right. I, I, mean, completely I, I, at the same I agree. Time. No, I agree with you at the same, I agree with some of what you're saying, but I want to make sure that I'm saying what I'm saying clear is that I think, first of all, I do think, I don't think they're an average or even a whack talk show i think they're you know jimmy fallon is is benefiting greatly from having them with them you I know what i'm saying they're way overqualified to be there mm-hmm. but i'm starting to wonder if again if they're starting to sink into the background to a point where it's like it really doesn't matter that the roots are there anymore it was cool the first mate, three or four years Isaac, at the same time i'm thinking from a musical standpoint is it i'm questioning i don't know i mean i'm not them but i'm asking yo is it time for y'all to go you know what i'm saying is it time for y'all to expecting? step away from this what, what, what but, are but, you expecting but my, my whole do? thing is like you know i hear like like we're discussing expanding their audience but to me like well what is the point of expanding your audience like what are we essentially talking about making more money when we talk about expanding your audience like are we trying to reach people or make people expose people to a certain style of music that they otherwise might not not listen to and as a result of seeing them on Fallon or whatever, are they going to go, are they going to become hip hop fans? Like, is that the point to convert more people to be hip hop fans? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think, or, 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 or is the point that we make more money and then we can, as opposed to being a large auditorium band, we're now a stadium. And I'm sure that, that conversation right there, Nick is probably, you know, the conversations that they had with their management when Jimmy first asked them to be on the show, you know what I'm saying? They probably had these conversations like, why are we doing this? What do we hope to get out of this? So on and so forth to answer John's question. I just, to me, it's like when those first couple years on the late show, it was really dope to see them because it was like, they would play tracks when the guests would come out, they would play a track that had some kind of, you know, arcane meaning or, you know, reference to that person. And it was like, just dope. Cause it's like, Oh, only the roots would do that. Now it's starting to feel like a parlor trick where it's like, they're going to come out. Somebody's going to walk out. They're going to play something that's, you know, kind of dope, but it's like, you almost expect it now. And that's why I'm questioning them. Like, Hey, have y'all kind of like taken this as far as it can go and it's time to move on and do something different? Is there, is there a general concern about whether this situation, if they stay here any longer, is going to eclipse what we look at them as? Is, is that basically what it is? I don't know if it's a concern as much as it. I mean, I guess, yes, because I'm thinking that's what's going to happen unless they release like, you know, uh, yeah, like, like, at phenomenal end, albums. like at, the, just, end, like at the end of the day, if we look at 10 years from now yeah, 10 and, years and, and, now, and the Wikipedia page, the first thing says on the Wikipedia page is that <laughs> Jimmy Fallon they're, show right, they're Tonight Show <laughs> band as opposed to, you know, uh, a quote unquote hip hop band. It's like it's, it's like a great stand up comedian getting a talk show and no longer he's looked at as a stand up comedian because he became not a talk show, but yeah, basically getting a talk show with like Drew Carey or, or, or Drew Carey. But, but that that can happen. Anyway, that, that can that, happen. And I know, a, it can. And a lot of, and and a lot of times you don't even choose. Like, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. Miles Davis didn't think when he did Kind of Blue, yeah, this is what I want to be remembered for. This is what mm-hmm. I want my greatest mm-hmm. selling album to be. Right. Time Over time, that just happened to be his most popular album. I don't even think the Cats at that time thought that that was his best album or even amongst musicians. I know, you know, uh, amongst the musicians as far as that period, the cats thought Milestones was a far greater record, mm-hmm. but at least or, he's remembered. Far, be- he's remembered for an album of his. I don't think the Roots want to be remembered as the Jimmy Fallon talk show band. 
I could be wrong, but I'm just saying I don't think. No, but I, I, there's, there's a huge difference. The analogy I'm trying to make is like it's the Steve Harvey want to be at the end of the day known as the host of Family Feud. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to all the no, comedy you put down, I don't think he's in a position to be known as the host of Family Feud. He does it for so many years. I don't think you ever have a choice in that, really. But you have a choice to take the job, unless unless you like unless you like do. Unless you some let's say Lauren Hill decided she's never going to do an album again, then she would forever. That would be a way of guaranteeing that okay, I will always be remembered for mm-hmm. that album. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it may stand a good. She may stand a good chance, regardless if she does one or not, to only be remembered for that. But I think that, that at that, this point that articulates the question. It's like should you know? And again, we're like playing roots management right now. But <laughs> as their managers, it's like yo, you know, y'all. The danger does is there that you know if y'all keep doing this, you could get remembered this way. Okay, you'll be remembered but, but, by you'll be remembered by some in one way, and some in another way. The 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 sort of you know suburban. Um, suburban mainstreamites who have zero exposure to hip hop, they will remember the Roots as a talk show band simply because that's their only exposure to the Roots. <laughs> but did, did they Black even Fox know them streak. before? The exactly. question is not exactly. remember. They, yeah, but did they even know who they were? Like exactly. that might be the the only exposure they ever had to them. Exactly, and the and the only reason they really care. You know. Well, let exactly. me ask a question. Real quick. Is there any way for them to be legendary in what they're doing right now? as a talk show band because the thing that made the roots unique is that you know they were but i don't want to double my word but they were unique in what they were doing inside of hip-hop now outside of just being a quote-unquote hip-hop band is there room for them to have that same type of impact in this genre well i think every talk show band probably looks at the roots as almost the benchmark to to reach now i mean they're unique amongst their competitors in the way that they existed as you know, and I'm, I'm, I hesitate to use this phrase, but a cultural icon, um, but, but amongst their supporters, yeah, but that's just because they're. I would, the but I would attribute I, I don't, that more. I don't more, think that's, I I don't think that's musically, that Jahan. I don't think they're. I don't think they're doing anything unique musically to push that genre forward. They may be better would, than the attrib- other ones. Go, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I, Nick. I, I would attribute that more to the fact that they had a, a firmly established, a firmly established reputation before. They appeared on the talk show, mm-hmm. unlike most talk show bands that are solely constructed to be on that show, and they never were bands before. That's what sets the roots apart from Agreed. the other bands. Like, Agreed. but can they, But here's my. But can they be legendary? I mean, musically, can they do stuff from a creative a talk, standpoint? Is this in, the golden in, age in, of talk show? In bands? The, <laughs> they, they would. <laughs> in in order for that to happen, they would have to do something different, right? That that would make them. That would set. They would have to break. That's the construct. That's what I'm asking. Can they? That's, that's point, exactly what I'm this, asking. This, can they do that? Point, can they do they, that? Can it? Can it be done? Yes. Okay. Have they done that? No. No. Okay. Okay. I disagree with you guys. I think they have done it for a small group of people. So people like me who love to hear a slight Dilla reference on a talk show. To me, that's amazing. And to me, no one else is going to do that. No one else has done it. No but how many times, that. Jay? It's like they've done that. It's like, okay, that was cool the first 200 times. I understand How, what how you're cool saying. is that? I, After a while, it's like you're, you're at the concert for two I, years. I understand what you're saying. The concert but, needs but, to end and we need to go do something else. Fine, fine. I understand that. But then my question, as it was originally, is what is your expectation here? And, and what are you basing that expectation on? What about their pre-Fallon output? leads you to sort of think these guys are going to change music or 
these guys are going to completely remix the way that we look at the art form. No, I didn't. Why, I didn't have, why is, I don't, I don't, why is I don't, I don't holding them back? I didn't have you know, an expectation. I, don't know if I, think I just that's wanted the to raise the question. I, yeah. I don't know if I think that's the point. I think the point is, is that from what I could tell from what I've heard, you know, of Quest speak of and so forth, is that, hey, this is a great opportunity. It's a good chance for us to get off the road. Agreed. I, I've never heard the, I've never heard language anywhere remotely near like we're trying to change the yeah and that's the, that's the, that was the, the potential of what's possible of a talk show band or yeah and that wasn't like, the point I, of I, don't, the question. I don't know if that's the conversation yeah that wasn't the point of the question the question was just to ask basically you know is it, I mean almost like is this damaging their rep you know what I'm saying it's like yo let's see, I, break I it down I don't, let's I don't, break it down I don't is see this damaging, damaging their rep and, and, and I mean I, I see it as question. part of the legendary I really do see it as part of the legendary status okay we legends, but we've had critically acclaimed albums. We've had you know we've what had groundbreaking Arthur. production for other artists, you know, and we landed a tonight you know show. What, they asked I, us. We're watching. We're watching Fallon to see the roots. Normal people watch Fallon to see the guests. Right. It's like we watch to see what the roots are going to do. I like. They're going to play. Are they going <laughs> to? You know how they're going to back up to change? How they're going to do this arrangement? You know what I'm saying? And at the same point to answer to, to go to your point. I'm pretty sure there's no chance in hell that they're going to leave anytime soon because their contract probably is not over. Right, right. They probably got a contract that's not going to, you know, right. that coincides with how long Jimmy is signed for, for the show. Uh, you ain't gonna it's not about them leaving. Right? It's, it's, it's not a, if, they're gonna, if somebody else at NBC is going to change that, they're not going to make that change at all, I don't think. I think contractually they're going to be there for a while. Yeah, I don't think we're talking about a talk show genre in terms of music because whatever that looks like, Musically speaking, can be anything. I mean, I think the idea of a talk show band is that they're supposed to be flexible and versatile to some degree. Even like if we use the model of, you know, when Branford was on uh, on the Tonight Show years ago, they played all sorts of styles, and he had a band that he felt could vacillate between. But I don't think the end game for them, and I can't really speak for them, is being innovative musically. And and why would you want to do that? And what would that be of hopes to do to inspire other talk show bands to up their game and be like, is that really the point? Like to me, music is not designed to live in that genre like it does in a club or in a concert hall when you're listening to that. Yeah. Like that's just not the function of it. No, I agree with that. So yo, you know, so 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 that's like so if D.L. Hughley got a talk show, you'd never do it, right? As far as being his band, you wouldn't lead D.L. Hughley's band for the D.L. Hughley talk show. Here's the thing: if I if I'm not saying I wouldn't do something like that, first of all, the money would have to be cool. <laughs> that, I mean, because that's essentially what I would be doing. If, that's essentially what one would do that for his money. There's there's no other reason to feel like you want to do that. Like when we're talking about expanding an audience, essentially what we're talking about is making more money. Right. Because right. when you expand yeah. an right. audience, there are more people who come, more people who buy the records, bigger venues that you can play, more money. Right. That's essentially what we're saying. So how much money is enough money like to be set for life? Like at, at this point, doing a talk show like that for, I don't know, 10 years, you're, you can you should be pretty much set for life. Especially if, and with, I'm certain, with NBC, yeah, you should be set. But I'm specifically talking to you, my man. <laughs> what would I do yeah. if the money was right? Yeah, I'd do it for a little while. But would I do that for the rest of my life? No. Okay. And, 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 and for reasons behind, not because of money, but why wouldn't you do it for the rest of your career? Cause that's like it's not designed like you can't play. You can't right. grow there. You, you can't, can't grow, play. Right. 
Like you just can't You know It's not designed For you to really be And that may play. be The root and, situation and They that may be is, like Yo like, I think that's the core Of what my, we're asking like my, <laughs> I think that's exactly What yeah. we're asking yeah. Like my normal show On a given night Is longer than an hour Right so you take that They're not even playing An hour of music They're not even playing A half an hour they're like of music. 10, right. We're talking like Maybe 15 minutes of music, minutes of yeah, music yeah, yeah. Every night Like just think If you want to only do that Like let's say They didn't have any Auxiliary projects They're working on You know Quest wasn't doing this They weren't going off For weekends doing gigs You're playing You're only on your instrument in a performance mode for 15 minutes <laughs> a night for five days a week. Broken up and You're going to sound like <laughs> shit. You're going to sound like shit by the time you... But, you, you but to be fair, to, to be fair, Quest has gone on record as saying, you know, part of the decision to go with this whole format was they were getting paid to rehearse. So they leave, they live in Philly, right? Even though they're doing the show when it was in New York. I think um, some of them have moved to New yeah, York. I know Questlove's got an apartment. They'd live in Philly with their families every day at 9am. They'd meet in a parking lot, get on a tour bus. NBC gave them a tour bus. They spend all day rehearsing and they've never, he, he said, all as a band. Rehearsing, rehearsing what? He all said, day he, rehearsing, he said, for, for what? All day rehearsing said, for a two-minute Thank you, Nick. That's what I'm saying. Thank you, Nick. All day thank rehearsing. You, Nick. you spend five hours <laughs> thank rehearsing you. for a two-minute skit. That's not... Five well, hours rehearsing for some shit that's actually going to develop into something. Well, fine, that's a difference. All right, but they have. It's not like they're not releasing albums during this period. But it, 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 it but, let me tell you something. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't translate. Let, let me give you an example. We don't even have to talk about a talk show. Let's say I had a big band, and I I was a trumpet player in a trumpet section of four other trumpet players. It's common knowledge that there's less. Improvisation There's less solo time In a big band Than when you're in a small group If you're in a quintet Or a trio You're going to be taking solos Probably every tune Maybe every other tune But the, the amount of time That you're going to be playing Is substantial You drastically cut that back When you're in a big band And you have You went from Three to four or five Musicians in a group To 18 musicians And that much Has to be spread around So you might take One, two solos a night If you're lucky If you're one of the Featured soloists you may not solo at all if you're in a big band ever. So if you're never if if you don't use that part of your creativity, that part of your headspace, you will lose it. And it doesn't matter how great you are when you walked into that situation. There's no way to compensate for not doing that. It's a perishable That's almost skill. like saying if I if I played basketball and we were in a controlled environment and I'm taking jump shots, working on my jump shot. Well, yeah, you can work on your jump shot by yourself, but when you're in the field of play. And you put other people And you have to figure out Well how I'm a maneuver When I have All of these other elements That I, you can't practice for Then you, you, your, reflex, your, your reflexes And your response time Is going to be se Severely um, Compromised By you not using That part of it And that's what I think they're up against Now as opposed to Being a musician And knowing Okay we're I'm, I gotta practice One hour myself so we got to look at this. I got to practice before I go to the Tonight Show, before I rehearse for five hours. We're rehearsing all five hours to play 10 minutes of music during the show. And we still haven't played yet. We still haven't got a, a, a chance to bust that nut. So if we don't get it after the gig or on the weekend, yeah. we, we're looking to try to do that. It's like there's no way you can maintain a certain level of musicianship without getting out at a certain point. I don't, I mean, I see what Nick is saying. It makes perfect sense. It's completely logical. Just to clarify, though, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that they're somehow at this point less creative or less. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they suck now. But you're saying it's I, in I, danger I, I would, of happening if they stay too long, I guess. That, yeah, and that's, that's yes. what I was saying as well. 
Okay, yeah, that's, well, that's I, I don't saying. see it as having happened yet. So, but but yeah, I, I I take I take your points. All right, let's move on. And can the brother be called Black Thought? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I second that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, moving on to the what if. The question that we ask where we take a scenario that actually has happened and turn it on its head and ask if it either happened a different way, happened with different components in it, or didn't happen at all. And this question comes into the latter. What if the iPod was not invented? Jahan would be riding around. His his car would be so heavy. <laughs> it wouldn't be able to make it out of his driveway. You know what? I, I got a story here. I was once driving Robert Glasper and Chris Dave to a Talib Kweli concert. And I had this, I don't know, 19, well, it was a 19 something golf and Robert Glasper sitting in the back and suddenly he went berserk, completely berserk. And he worked out that A, not only was I playing a cassette, <laughs> but B, the concept was I had actually chosen the songs that I was playing. Now, this to him was hilarious because, you know, I think at that time it was Jesse Johnson's Love Struck that was playing and he kept saying but he chose to play this he chose to play this uh, and he to him if it was an ipod it would have been acceptable that it would just like shuffled over there you know an ipod has got like thirty thousand songs he's gonna throw everything on there and you know maybe you're gonna get some whack tracks here and there not that that's a whack track but he was like but he chose to play this he chose this song he chose this song this is what he thought was the best song to play at this time <laughs> right <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, real talk. Has anything changed our lives fundamentally, like the iPod? You know, what I'm saying musically or technologically speaking. Not music. In the last, I mean, really, I'm trying to think. Maybe since we've been alive. Now, you know, it was released in 2001. The iPod was not the first MP3 or digital music player. Not necessarily the best either. Right. Right. But they they they, they got the brand. I think it was that. I think it was the wheel, though. That's what changed. That's what changed everything. Was that wheel? But, but anyway, design team at the time. Arthur was the first person to show me that. He came on house in 2001 to back, to work on my computer to like do some maintenance, and he took this thing out to back up my computer onto this thing, and I didn't know what it was. And he says iPod. So for months, I just had an iPod was a external hard, hard drive. drive you know what I'm saying <laughs> I didn't know it was a music player and then it was like so oh just I just saw put my headphones on and listen to your data right. huh? <laughs> later on I saw it and I was like that's the thing that Arthur used to back up my computer so that's how advanced this brother was when it first came out he wasn't using it just for music he was backing up computers and stuff because that's basically what it is is a hard yeah, drive it's a big old hard drive yeah but what I think is that it brought order to chaos the the iPod brought a platform that later led to the iTunes Music Store, but you know it, it gave you the ability to, at a high rate of speed, because it had a FireWire port on it, as opposed to a slower USB port, to be able to quickly get songs from your computer to your iPod, and they didn't necessarily have to be low-fidelity MP3s. They could be WAV files, they could be AIF files, you know. And musicians took to the iPod, because they were, many were, and Bono was one of them, uh, Moby was another one that were invited to Cupertino and Steve Jobs himself would like lay this thing down and like look listen to this and look at this so you know he had that I don't even remember how big the first hard drive was I still have that iPod cause, yeah cause I do, I do too cause after he fixed your computer he came by my house and fixed mine <laughs> yours up but, I, but I saw what he had and I went and bought one <laughs> I'm like I gotta have me one of these things cause you know walking around with that Sony Walkman <laughs> cause I hadn't right. even advanced an MP3 have. which I still have too right 
you know, Nicholas, as a musician, you know, crates of CDs, you know. But as a musician, did 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 the iPod change how you began to um, listen to music that you were recording? You know, I I came up in a generation where, you know, we still had Walkmans, cassette Walkmans, and um, I can remember having a case, those cases that you used to put the whole CD in with the jewel box and everything. And it would be 20. The biggest you could get was like 20. It would be a huge case, bigger than a laptop. And I remember traveling with that. And I remember the transition from that to when they start started making the, the little folders where you could insert the CD and the booklet in there without the jewel case. So you could carry more music. So, uh, so yeah, so I think, you know, in terms of being a traveling musician, the biggest difference I noticed in how much music could you travel with to listen to. So it became a thing of when I had a cassette, as Jahan you know, alluded to earlier, you had to select what you wanted to listen to. And, you know, well, I want these 10 albums on, you know, on side A, side B. This is what I'm going to travel with. This is what I'm listening to. When we got CDs, um, we could travel with a little bit more music. Uh, when they came out with the folders, you could travel with yet more music. Um, when they made the transition to MP3 is when like, well, I can have virtually any song I feel like I want to hear at any given moment. I could listen to that. Um, as far as having dats, I think the appeal for musicians there was that we could you could record a gig in digital format as opposed to the cassette, which you would have problems with, you know, um, battery life all the time. That seemed to be more efficient on battery, um, more stability in terms of intonation. Um, what about the length? And what was the what was the max length on the DAT? Forty five minutes. It was a, it was longer, like maybe one hundred and twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then I, I I made the transition from DAT to mini disc because it was smaller. It was more compact. Um. The issue with the iPod is that you still yet couldn't record music to it at the time when it first came out. Then I think they made eventually some mic attachment that you could use, but the sound quality was pretty shitty. Um, so now I found that, you know, musicians had portable MP3 recorders like the iRiver or things like that. Yeah, so I, I don't think the the advent of the iPod affected me creatively in terms of how I thought about music or uh, how I, I recorded initially um, or digital music. I think at this point, though, it has geared artists to be more perhaps singles driven as opposed to album driven as the industry was when I first set foot into it. Now you can make two minute vignettes or make an album like like Dilla's Donuts or something like that. These two minute vignettes that sort of stream from one to the other when there was a real album listening community. Uh, I didn't find as much of that. And the confidence in having shorter tunes um, in sequence appealed to me more. So when I did Sonic Trance, I think that was because of the digital era that gave me the confidence to feel like, well, I can do a song for two minutes and that's fine. And I have to worry so much about radio because that was the other thing too, uh, making songs that were, because with radio songs can't, if songs are either over five or six minutes or under 
four minutes, you usually don't get played. So now radio not being such a factor, then you can do a two minute tune and not have to worry about it. Was that because um, previously the album listening experience was hard copy? So you're talking about not just the not just the iPod, but of course the iPod and iTunes popularized but the physical digital. But but previously yeah, it, a hard copy experience, it kind of you know encouraged you to listen to the entire album in a particular way, rather than being able to make if, playlists and skip around and etc. I don't know if if that was as much of a factor as the idea that you can have more music with you okay. and develop more of a, a musical ADD. Whereas before, um, like I said, like if you had 10 cassettes, like I didn't have as much music as young kids have now. Mm. I might only had, you know, 50 records at one time, mm. but I knew those records. I knew mm. every mm. fucking note on those records, mm. Mm. as opposed to now kids have yeah, access yeah. to all this shit and they don't know none of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you they, don't, they don't know one. They can't sing. They can't mm. sing one fucking tune. And it's mm. like that didn't ha- you didn't have that problem back then because, yo, when I went out on the road for six weeks or two months. And I had my five to ten cassettes with me. Like I knew every fucking part of that. Yeah, no, and I mean we're exactly. talking about two two different things though, because you know the iPod didn't create the idea of making playlists. It didn't create the idea of having it, it you know, a that. mishmash of stuff. No, no, you but know, it made there it were easy. Music libraries. There were there were programs on computers. Um, Soundjam was one one of them. Audion was another one. But you know what? All those but things. But the average are person the, was never going to exactly, use that. Exactly. All those things and a lot of what you guys are talking about right now were for the musicians and the tech heads. Connoisseurs. This was, exactly, this, the iPod, the advent of the iPod was one of those times, and it happens very rarely, where a a piece, a, a, a physical thing becomes part of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, the white earbuds became synonymous with urban landscapes. You know what I'm saying? This was, this was something that almost never happens. Mm-hmm. You know, iconic, for a, right? Right, iconic. And this changed everything. And for the consumer, what this meant was that all this, all that tech stuff you're talking about didn't just sound like tech stuff. It became things that were fundamental. In other words, I can carry, like Nick said, I can carry 5,000 songs in my pocket. Now, when I leave the crib, I don't have to pick and choose what I'm going to put up in my visor, the CDs I'm going to bring with mm-hmm. me. I got, when I get on the oh, airplane man, to take a the trip. Visor. Right, yeah. the visor, remember. When you take a trip, you know what I'm saying? Well, you remember getting on the plane with them damn disc man and all mm-hmm. that shit? Mm-hmm. You, don't got, you, don't have to, you don't have to do that anymore. I just grab my iPod, I'm out. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So this change everything how different if that ipod was not invented we already know the drastic change it would have on us as consumers how different would it have changed the war that went on between record labels and artists you know over the possession of or record labels and pirates well that's what i'm because, saying bringing order to chaos but again for the average consumer you know there was piracy going on before the ipod but again how easy did this make you know what I'm saying because now i can just grab all this stuff i'm pirating and put it on an ipad that's going to make me pirate more stuff you see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. how does that change? I think this, you really can't, and without the iPod, there is no iPhone. You know what I'm saying? I know a lot of people put a lot of stuff. iPod, no iPod, no iPhone. You know, so this is one of those things where you take that out of the equation and everything changes. You know, everything. i tell you one thing that's changed, and this is just a, a quick interjection. Apple would make better fucking computers. Because <laughs> I noticed the quality of the quality of the computers drastically diminished after the advent of the iPod. Customer service, everything. It went down. It's like once they started making yeah. the iPod and that became the, that became the focus. Uh, more yeah. lucrative. Yeah, I don't, I don't Especially know. Especially when the computer started. I don't know. I mean, in reading yeah. Steve Jobs' book, it, 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 
you get to know how he went all when the iPod was being invented. He went all in. He yeah. he really went he all he in knew. on this particular yeah. process. So there's some there's some relevancy, I think, to what Nick is saying. Yeah, but the Mac, I mean, especially with the iMac, it's at such a high level. I mean, it, it, there, there's some legitimacy to that. I get that, but these computers are still at such a high level that it's like how you know how much more can they do? Well, here's the thing. I think you know, to answer the question of what would happen to iPod when he invented, and it goes to what you were saying. It's not just the earbuds. It's the entire culture that's been built over the last decade of the reemergence or not even reemergence the emergence of headphones as being not just musical instruments but an important accessory to everything would you do in your life would there be beats without like right. there, there would be there would be no beats without you know the, the iPad mm-hmm. you know there would be the whole noise cancellation on headphones the fact that you can charge the price you know a thousand dollars for customer headphones not studio headphones mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. the regular consumer to spend yeah. a grand on headphones all of that is because of the iPod, you know, because because of the accessibility you had to carry so much music in your everyday you know travel. Headphones became more than just an accessory, more than a purse. They became more like underwear and pants. It's, it's, a, it's, a necessity. it's like an appendage. Right. They became a necessity. Yeah. It's an appendage. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like another sense. It's like your eyes or your exactly. nose. Exactly. So without the iPod, yeah. none of that would happen. And, and the other thing I think would happen to iPod from a personal standpoint is that if without that, you wouldn't be able to do. And I, I quick story, do the shit that I did that I do every now and then. Go into places and musically take over joints. Because you just plug in your I just like yeah, you I, just I plug I, in I, your joint. Right. <laughs> I have gone to like the I've stayed at, at I did it at the at the W in Westwood in the lobby, in the lounge. I'm like, I I'll turn this place out. Walked up there my, with my iPad. <laughs> Suddenly we have NWA in a hotel lobby. Put it on and turn it on the lobby. Like, you know what I'm saying? Dude, you can't do shit like that. Cause, hey, you know, Jay, you know, Jay, you know he used to do it with a, a, a tape, though. He used to slide his tape in the tape. <laughs> Get the wires and sell the tape and shit. All right, but see, some people won't let you touch their equipment. But now there's no equipment. It's just a sound dock. Uh-huh. So you just plug it in. I've, I've done that in many places. I've gone to play like, look, my eye, like almost have an iPod battle. But what about the, what about the, what about the backlash? <laughs> but, you know, I often want wonder what 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 are the um ramifications of us listening to music in a digital format so much well you know there's the research like, what does that do, what does that do to the psyche what does that do for the soul because even at the highest quality mp3 it's not the same as listening to vinyl it's not, it's not the same it doesn't have the same amount of colors or anything as other shit so you're getting you're, get, you're getting 50% of the music basically exactly you're not really you're not the, the impression that it leaves on you is not the same right. Thank and you. I'm, I'm saying, but that was the motivation behind Neil Young putting together his Ponyo player that plays significantly higher resolution format. Uh, he raised almost a million dollars the first day uh, on Kickstarter to create this thing because the backlash against low fidelity MP3s, even if at 128 especially, 256, even 320. So there's been a resurgence of vinyl in in well of course the neighborhood record stores but on amazon is a whole there's a I vinyl saw, section hey, in amazon i saw now. timberlake's last album i saw a vinyl at in, target in target yeah. <laughs> right vinyl and you so. can get and you can get a record player in target you can get one in uh bed bath and beyond yes. wow i got it i got it's, a it's not great quality it's not great quality but you can get but one. nick but nick let me ask you in terms of the bed bath beyond uh example how much of that is how much of that again is a fashion accessory Rather than rather than Bed it, Bath it, it, and Beyond's clientele actively saying, "I want wax." Yeah, but but does it matter? 
to me, like the thing is, is that getting people to do things for the right reason sometimes is not the idea. It's just getting them to do it. Like the largest faction of people are never going to do it for the right reasons. And that we can piggyback on the, the roots discussion. Like the idea is to just get people to do it more so than why they're doing it. That's true. Well, what's the future of this, though? Do you think this desire would grow to the point where we've got, you know, terabyte iPhones? Um, maybe from a video. Well, you might get that just because of video. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I think already we're, we're past space because now everything is streaming. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. And yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. We're not, yeah. we're not gonna. Pretty soon, the iPod is not gonna be whatever. You're gonna have like what? What's that? Google glasses and shit. Like <laughs> yeah, you, have, on that. you have some earbuds to that, and you just stream <laughs> mm-hmm. it straight there you, you're not going to want even an ipod is going to be cumbersome at a certain point yeah. like you're not going to want to have to i don't want to carry this thing around. they're going to have to elevate they're going to have to elevate i'll just Wi-Fi. stream it out they gotta yeah. yeah i'll just stream it straight forward and now with you can use cell phones on airplanes they don't you, you, you can't stream when you're up in the air but pretty soon they're going to create towers so you know or, or whatever you, the technology you use to make it you know so that you can receive a signal in a plane and see to me and you're not going to carry around you're not going to carry around anything it's, anymore. It, you're not to even going to have your to own. me that's not good because i think we need to turn off sometimes but, but, but that's what that's where we're headed but, but the scary thing is that we're talking about sound quality um and the degradation of sound quality from from wax to a walkman to to the iPod, I recently upgraded my cell phone to an iPhone, and I was you're I was, welcome. I was I know that's right. Jahan had a damn Lego phone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. As in, he had to put that joint together every morning. Did right? you just actually see it? When <laughs> yeah, you were there? I saw it. I, I picked it up and dropped it, and it fell in a million pieces. And he put it back together again. <laughs> I ba- I basically had two cups and a piece of string. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not as good, and 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 the problem is is that you become accustomed to it. Right. That's the problem yeah, that's with the people. Is that you listen to it so long, it you don't so often, sense yeah. the difference anymore. Here's my, I wanted to ask a question inside the question. Has the i not not just you know what happens at the iPod was an event. I want to has it been good for music? Music I or think the yes, music industry? Yes and no. Yes and no. I think yeah, yeah yes now no. wait are we talking about the iPod or are we talking about talking digital about, music no, I'm talking about the iPod the, the iPod. iPod I was being very specific and I'm being very very specific when I say about for music I, I would say ultimately it, you, you can weigh the pros and cons but ultimately it's bad and why I say that is because when you have when you're walking around with five to ten thousand songs you don't have a need as much to go to the club tonight to go hear some music mm. Because now music has just become so much of a, we have our, we're walking around with our own soundtracks. Mm, all the time. So we don't have the, we don't have the desire to go out and check out some music anymore mm-hmm. because we can create our own playlist. And this is not only directed to the iPod, but just social media mm-hmm. and computers in general. Because we have accessibility to everything, there's a virtual version of everything that exists in a real world, be it music, sex, visual, everything communication then there's a less uh, we have a we rely less on the tactile experience and i think ultimately what it's creating is the uh, generation of narcissism yeah exactly right. it, is it? that and that we just don't have the need to right. do it social skills are social skills are lacking amongst children or people who because we're, we're but, in that, like, but that's why the letter starting this whole thing also i 
<laughs> That's where there's an I. Yeah. It's yeah. not a Wii phone. Yeah. It's an iPhone. It's not a Wii pod. It's an iPod. <laughs> you know, there's a big difference between Facebook and Twitter and selfies. No, but Jay, but Jay, cetera, I mean, the, the, and the, the iPod. Am- Let's not blame the. I, I mean, I don't think so. I don't. I, I find it to be all related. It's all related because to me, it it encourages an environment where we rely less on the tactile experience. And that's what's, that, that's what makes us human. We're not just in the ethers. I mean, if we were created into the spiritual world, there would be no need for the manifestation of flesh. Preach! You know, so the, the whole point that we exist in a fleshly world with real things that we can mm-hmm. touch is because we're touch and sense oriented. Once you begin to take that away from us, then I think we ultimately become less. I human. agree. Right, well, how about this then? I used the tube, London's underground train system. Now, pre the iPod, most people weren't listening to music. Most people didn't have headphones in. Most people either had a book mm-hmm. or had a newspaper or a magazine. Yeah, they were reading. Post, post iPod, mm, probably when the iPod came in, most people now have headphones in. I think it's given people access and exposure that they wouldn't necessarily have had. And ironically, it's encouraged a huge amount of people to listen to music, whereas they wouldn't have otherwise. But Jay, this is... Jay, but, Jay. But, they li- but they're listening to bullshit. They're listening to shit. Most I agree with you. But hold, hold, hold on, Jahan. You know what I mean? So it's like, it would be better to me... To me personally, it would be better, it would be better for them to listen to nothing than to listen to the bullshit drivel that they're listening to 24 hours because it's a cycle and they're being programmed. You know what? And that's most and of that's, the shit that they're and listening that's, to. And that's kind of like, Jay, what you're saying is that, and I agree with what Nick just said because, and it's not to put a battle between reading and books versus music. But reading and is a is a more active uh, experience. You know, what I'm saying you're yeah, engaging yourself on a whole nother level. Watching TV and listening to music is a uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Passive, passive exactly. Passive. It's a passive thing. So I think what is well, it depends I, I how agree. you're listening and what you're listening to. That's true too. I agree. This and this and this is why I said this is why my answer was yes and no because I agree that the the iPod and MP3s have given a lot of people accessibility to music who otherwise wouldn't have that accessibility. I think that's a good thing, but. But what that does is human beings, what we tend to do is when something is there and it's accessible, we reach for it as a passive thing. We go for the easiest thing, whether we should or we shouldn't. So to Nick's point, that's why you got a lot of people listening to music when they should be reading a damn book. Especially some. Don't let me get started. Well, I am <laughs> with you with that, but I'm saying, you know, I, I, I use I use my iPhone as a teaching tool. You know, every night my daughter likes to listen to music. Well, let's be more specific. My daughter likes to listen to Frozen. Okay. I do one night where we're going to try something new. Daddy's going to play something new. Daddy's going to play Kiss for you. <laughs> You're going to listen to and Paul play, Stanley. Then he puts his makeup <laughs> on <laughs> Sabrina's face. <laughs> but I'm saying, I've got, you know, and so we're, lis- we're listening to Miles. We're listening to Craft Stereo Work. Lab. And Sabrina, listening listening she's to, listening to this. And she's listening to this. Wow, okay. You know, and she's singing some of these songs. I mean, something that catches her, you know, and you ride that out. That's you my know girl. What I mean? And that that is something from the standpoint of me as a dad knowing that she's in an environment But can you just put on a record? Does this. You can put on a record. I don't have a record player. I'm saying if the iPod wasn't invented, you would just put on a record. Oh, I just put on a record. Yeah. Or I put on, you know, I put on CDs, you know, but I mean, the convenience of the standpoint of music to go, you know, when it's bedtime. That's why I said yes and no. The accessibility is the yes. Yeah. And I think that's cool what Arthur's saying. But, you know, as long as we use it as a tool, 
as long as we use it as a tool, when it becomes the source, it's problematic. I just wanted to go around the table real quick and just see if you could make the choice of whether the iPod would be invented or not invented, what would you choose? Even though I agree with uh, the, the impact it's had on music, for the most part, has been negative, I, I would say yes. Um, yeah, I, I would have to say yes, just for accessibility. Arthur? I would say yes because it's put the spotlight back on music and listening to music. Uh, I would say no. What would you say, Nick? My answer is not so easy. I would got to choose one or the other. And Nick, my note, my no is based on a lot of what you I, said. I, I, I would say both. Given the the consciousness, you got to choose of, one. Got to choose one. Well, let the guy let let the guy do it his way. No, you got to choose nah, one. Hey, stop, stop right. placating to the guests, no, right, man. man. Stop Damn. placating to no, the guests. If, if we <laughs> no, if we were a more enlightened, responsible society, then. Yes, but, but we're not. The way we're not. Are, <laughs> but we're not. So no. Right, no. Two no's no. and two yeses. Jay, uh, Jahan. Jay, you the tiebreaker. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a definite yes. I'm as in as in I would like it available. It's me and you, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> but, Stop placating yeah. to the guest. <laughs> <laughs> but to wrap this up, I, I, I saw last year. I saw um, Colin Barlow, who's the president of RCA Records. I saw him speak, and. He said, and they must be just kicking themselves. He said in the late 90s, Steve Jobs contacted every single record label, every single major record label. And he said, we're about to launch this thing. It's an iPod. You know, have a look in your pack. You've got one there. And, you know, we put songs on it and people are going to be able to go to a computer and they're going to be able to access thousands and thousands of songs and... um do you want to be part of it? Do you want to license your music to us, to iTunes, such that you then get a percentage of every single iPod sold globally? Every single major label said, no way, take a hike. Should have had Arthur. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel bad for the motherfuckers. They're all right. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they ripped artists off. Right, thank you, Nick. That's exactly what I was doing. I agree, I agree. Exactly, Nick, thank you. Thank you. I'm about to get, so th- I'm about to get ripped th- off. I agree, I agree. Yeah, it, they are. Right. Yeah, this is, this is karma. This is karma. Yeah. All right, our next topic. We call this Birds Blends. While Miles Davis was pioneering a synthesis between jazz and rock, was Donald Byrd, with his 70s output and the Mazzell Brothers partnership as producers the godfather of soul jazz. Now, a lot of us are familiar with Donald Byrd's catalog through sampling. Uh, and Jay, if you would not mind, help me kind of define this term uh, soul jazz so that we can kind of have a framework to, to work this out. Well, I'm almost scared to use the J word sitting opposite Mr. Payton. Now, he, he, he don't want Nick to go on his Michael Eric Dyson. Break it down, Jay. <laughs> don't worry about that. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> That's in the lost tapes. The lost <laughs> tapes. The lost tapes. Okay. That, that's the the last thing you got to worry about is me uh, channeling. <laughs> oh, 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 okay, all right. Ah, yeah. I like that. You got a better chance of me claiming jazz. Than, than I like that. Wow. We, hey, Nick, we have to talk about that later. I like that. Because I mean, you know, 1968 seems to be the banner year where 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 rock and jazz and soul slash R and B kind of converged uh, upon itself. And these artists that were that were you know otherwise known for a specific type of music began to experiment and excel in many cases like Miles Davis and like Donald Byrd and Jeff Beck in these other genres. So 
The story goes that it all kind of gets set off when uh, Miles sees Sly Stone, Sly and the Family Stone, at the Monterey Jazz Festival. And soon after that, puts together In a Silent Way. And that sets off what we commonly refer to as fusion. So, Jay, do you think that there's a relationship between this fusion and, you know, this, this soul jazz? No, not at all. I mean, other than, other than it's just evolution of, um, of the art form, um, evolution of the black American music, commonly known as uh, jazz. Um, I don't think there's any sort of deliberate relationship. I think if, if anything, you know, Miles spoke often about wanting to reach the uh, the young black youth and um you know wanting his output to be listened to by them etc wanting wanting what herbie achieved with chameleon was donald bird was he a pioneer in that respect was he the godfather of jazz that was played in dance halls with the groove geared towards young black people listening appreciating and dancing do, do you think it was that as radical as Miles? I mean, you know, Sorry, Donald so came out of the post-bop school and from his many of his critics and his peers and even some of his audience thought that when he did Blackbird in 1973, that he literally just walked away from jazz in the same respect as people thought that Miles had walked away from jazz. But with Miles, you know, it was looked at more as a an artistic expression as opposed to Donald Byrd, you know, trying to cater to radio. Well, yeah, I mean, Byrd, Donald Byrd was very, very, he was very clear in interviews about how he felt attacked for for the reaction to to Blackbird and and then the albums that came after it, despite it being, or maybe because of it being Blue Note's biggest selling album at that time. And then for years, um, until I think, until I think the 90s, um, perhaps also because it had more in common with or as much in common with Isaac Hayes and Curtis Mayfield's arrangements and productions as as, as anything else that he had done um, before it. And then also it wasn't, in terms of the fusion you're talking about, Arthur, um, I think the closest that Donald Byrd got to that was with maybe Ethiopian Nights, which was released a couple of years earlier. And that was much more in a kind of free, looser form than this sort of radio-ready, groove-ready, sort of dance-focused um, album. So I think I think he did set the standard for for you know for want of a better phrase jazz funk or or soul jazz fusion. Yeah, but I, but I I'm not sure whether it was Donald Byrd responsible exclusively or whether it was you know Donald Byrd and the Mazelle brothers. Because if you listen to the Mazelle brothers' output at that time, um, I think almost immediately uh, they followed up Blackbird and Street Lady with Bobby Humphrey um, mm-hmm. and, and, Blacks, uh, and Blues. Blacks and Blues and you know her, her, her output from the same period and those albums sound-wise are very, very similar kind of aesthetic a very, very similar sound well, Nicholas, let me ask you as a trumpeter, do you think that do you think that Donna Bird's playing was less authentic when he uh, began to do sessions with the Mazelles? Here's the... Uh because he he was the heir apparent to <laughs> Miles. He and Freddie Hubbard, right? We're supposed to be the. Yeah, here's a larger question for me, more so than the idea of why or what inspired these artists to branch out from jazz and sort of embrace 
a sound of of young black America or to leave jazz for a more funky genre. So what caused them not to be connected to that to begin with? And were they connected to that to begin with? Because the idea is almost like, well, they left jazz to go do this other Mm -hmm. thing. My question is, is like, would that even be a thing if jazz wasn't created anyway? And see, this is my central problem with the idea of jazz is because it separated itself from the black community. The moment the jazz idiom was introduced to black music and put on black music, it enslaved black music and it made it a thing. Whereas if left to its own uh, direction, those conclusions might have been arrived at much earlier on. And they actually were. Because when we talk about this, like we like to to credit Miles, uh, his work like Bitches Mm -hmm. Brew. We often forget that he did several electric projects before that. There was also In a Silent Way. There was also Philly the Kilimanjaro. And the, the introduction of electronic instruments was uh, um, on his record that wasn't released at the time for political reasons. Miles of the Sky, sky right. where, he did stu- where he did stuff and all that. But even before that, when he, you know, uh, he had George Benson do some tracks. In fact, one of those tracks is on Miles in the Sky, Paraphernalia. So he was already looking in that direction. Um, often Miles, Miles gets the credit, Donald Byrd gets the credit, but the person who, one of the people who is often overlooked is Cannonball mm. Adderley and his mm-hmm. group. And that's, that's the band that mm. really set it yep. off um, with Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. And mm-hmm. the introduction, you know, uh, I think uh, Joe Zalvin was playing uh, Wurlitzer on that track. That kind of turned everything around and that was a big hit. Um, for Cannonball then we got to go even further back because if we look at that and and, uh, another thing I want to touch on is um, you know Zavano's piece Mercy 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 Um, Zavano was very influenced by a New Orleans keyboardist uh, by the name of Willie T Wilson Turpentin Uh, he was brother's uh, he was a brother of Earl Turmington, who's, who was actually um, uh, on Zavano's first Warner Brothers release, Zavano. He played uh, out, uh, soprano sax on that record. Um, and a lot of these musicians, that connection between Cannonball and New Orleans goes way back because Nat Adderley did that record in the early 60s in that bag in which he had Ellis Marcellus, uh, Nat Paralat, um, and James Black very influential, very forward-thinking New Orleans drummer, James Black, uh, who has influenced people like uh, Jeff Watts, Tane. Um, uh, so it's a bit more complex sometimes than the narrative we get looking back historically and, and we want to say, well, things changed when Miles did uh, Bitches Brew. But ev- not only in Miles' career was that already set forth in motion, but there was already a precedent because uh, I, I remember hearing a story of sometime in the, the mid 60s where Cannonball and Miles did a, did a double bill and I think Cannonball played that tune I think it's uh, 74 Miles Away which is a tune in odd meter 7-4 uh, 
and a, a lot of the funky, as it's called, soul jazz stuff. Um, he just connected to the audience better than than Miles did, mm. and that left an impression on Miles. And what ultimately Miles did was, as he always did, he stole <laughs> Cannonball's piano player and took Joe's out on, and that's why he's on Bitches Brew. Mm. He's on a lot of the, the, those sessions that happened. He wrote directions. He wrote he wrote some of that music. Um, because Miles wanted to adopt that sound into what he was Joe doing, but then we have to start weather report. We, but we have to even go because we have to still go further back. Well, what's the origin of funk? Or what's the origin of soul? To me, one I think one of the first people to use that term ever in music was like Horace Silver. Mm-hmm. You know, all the records he did, like Finger Popping and Filthy McNasty, exact Filthy McNasty, all mm-hmm. this stuff. That was funk music right there. You know, that was Horace saying, taking a definite, because he, he was in the bebop uh, generation. Mm-hmm. He definitely made a decided decision to want to connect with a black urban sensibility and create music for the people, that music that people could snap their fingers to, music that people could pat their foot to, to adopt a very urban sensibility. So this idea was not a new thing. This is this is something that has always existed. Um, when we think about someone like Charlie Parker, to me, that's the world's first black outside of before it became jazz and became the pop music of the time. That is the first um, unapologetic black art form that that is to to what jazz was then what hip hop was several decades later. Um, Bird was the first unapologetically black artist who didn't, you know, hey, I'm going to roll to the gig in my suit wrinkle that I slept in all night. You know, not comb my hair, not whatever. That that, that whole kind of hippie grunge aesthetic. Mm -hmm. To me, that was the first time that existed within mainstream popular culture, Charlie Parker. And the bebop movement. That was the first the first black cats who were like, we not gonna tell jokes, we not gonna smile for you, we gonna we not we don't care if you dance, we don't care if you, this shit that we're doing is so hip. If you don't dig it, something's wrong right. with you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But why the aversion to guitars? Why why the aversion to plugging in plugging in a piano? Why the critical aversion? You're saying, Arthur? Yeah, I think that since the music became popular. There was always that dichotomy because the music was attractive. And a central thing that we have to look at is is why a lot of white people wanted to be a part of it because they saw their women being attracted to this music. I mean, that's why weed isn't legal right now, because the whole association with the music and the guy who was the commissioner of, of drugs, I forget his name right now, he made marijuana illegal because he he thought it made white women have a propensity for wanting to sleep with black people. Damn. Wow. Especially the especially I mean that's doc you, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, documented. Yeah, that's, that. Especially if the brother's a drug, man. That, if he delivering it. But there there are also political overtones in the style of music too. Not necessarily from Donald Byrd, but for someone like Roy Ayers. Well and that's what I was about to get to Roy ubiquity. Exactly. That's what I was about to get to I think one I, it's hard for me to. It's always been hard for me to look at the question and, and give Donald Byrd the, the the title, the Godfather of quote unquote, you know, the soul jazz thing. When you know, to me, Ahmad Jamal was doing that before mm-hmm. Donald 
got a hold to it. Definitely. You know, so, like, so tonight you yeah, mentioned Amaya Jamal in here. And then kind of post her at the same time, you know, when Donald was doing this, you had people like Lonnie Liston Smith and I was about to mention mm-hmm. Roy Ayers. Mm-hmm. Roy Ayers who really took that genre and, and, and gave it life that no disrespect, but Donald did not do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Roy Ayers. Well, I think Roy Ayers' work came after Donald's though. I think, yes. pre, pr, you know, prior to... You know, you, you, I, I don't think you can, but personally, my opinion, just in terms of that production kind of style, I don't think, um, I think maybe he was almost there with Change Up the Groove, but not really like Coffee, Virgo Red, Ubiquity, He's Coming, uh, Red, Black and Green. I didn't, I, that that style of production and that that sound. Yeah, I don't that's really post Donald. Yeah, chronologically, I would agree with that. Where would I, I would agree with you, Scoop, is that as far as the format I feel Roy Ayers perfected it and refined it to a degree that perhaps his predecessors okay. didn't but but um, no, I can I can agree with that as far as to spiral to something else actually I would say that if Roy Ayers if Roy Ayers is the godfather of anything it's so called neo soul or, or modern alternative soul for, for, for one of a much better word uh, or phrase because I mean so many in the so-called neo-soul community you know they're at pains to claim Prince as their major influence right but but their sound is is so much more you know if you listen to low end theory if you listen to Baduism if you listen to do you want more to me that sound is so much more indebted to Roy Ayers than it yeah, is to Prince. I, I get that, but I'm 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 throwing Roy in there because of the one because of the error and two at the time, you know he preceded, you know Lionel Hampton and Bill Jackson of you know modern jazz quartet as the guy on the xylophone who basically took that format that was basically jazz or quote unquote labeled as jazz specific into the era of soul. Mm-hmm. So if, if we're using a hybrid of words between soul and jazz. You know, that's why I'm throwing Roy Ayers out there. Well, well, let me throw two more people in there then, or two more acts. Crusaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then the and then almost, well, several guys on the CTI label. Definitely. And and remember, they were the Jazz yes, Crusaders, the jazz, and they were like, yes. fuck this. Joe Sam. Right, and then they, yeah, they, they abandoned that with Southern Comfort, right? Yeah, one person I think that gets, that gets sorely overlooked, and he was a musician, he was a vibraphonist as well, but he wasn't an artist that I think laid some real foundation to soul vocalization, church element into it, as well as the instrumentation and, and, and the arrangement is Charles Stepney. Who? And Charles Stepney, what he did with Rotary Connection, mm. mm-hmm. with Minnie Ripperton as, as the primary vocalist, but also her, her album, Come to My Garden, Right. And and if you really, really, really want to be honest, in a very specific period of time, Earth, Wind and Fire was that group between 1974 you know, you and Open Our Eyes to, to 1976 spirit where Charles Stepney was at the helm of those arrangements. And <laughs> if you extrapolate spot, out the vocals you know, you know. and some of that music, they the Beatles to me. <laughs> well, I'm saying, you know, it's like you extrapolate some of that, some, you know, extrapolate the vocals out. You know, there is a great deal of improvisation in Earth, Wind & Fire's early music, that early well, golden well, age music. Okay, well, well, let me ask you this then. So we can agree that whether it's Bird or the Mizells or Crusaders, Royers or Bobby Humphrey or whatever, or, or Maurice White or Charles Stepney, whether it's a collective effort, whether they, you know, whoever came, you know, 
first by a matter of seconds or a matter of months or whatever. Why did Bird get the heat? Why why is Bird the one that was he, criticized Ma, Ma, ferociously? Miles got the heat. Miles got it too. Miles Ma, got it actually even before before Bird got it. And ultimately ultimately probably got it worse because that's something that Miles suffered through ev- post bitches brew for the in, for the duration of the rest of his career. He always got the oh he right. sold out from the the, the jazz you know the jazz police. That that was just a part of the narrative after but, a certain point. But John, to answer your question, I think I, I think Bird gets it because now we now we're bringing the conversation into radio play. You know, Bird tended not. And when I say Bird, I'm not talking about Charlie Park. I'm talking about Donald Bird. Donald Bird found a way to find his songs. Found a way into radio programming. You know, uh, and 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 the R and B and soul, what they were calling it back then. You know, playlists and formats. That you know, like I said, Lionel Lister Smith wasn't getting that in all of his songs. You know, Amaj Jamal was not getting that on all his songs. You know, Earth Wind and Fire is getting it, but they weren't getting it and being associated with right. it being quote unquote right. jazz music that was right. a hybrid. Because the, the vocal music. element as well, uh, right? right? The I, vocal I element Bert, will always get you more readily on radio right. than an instrumental. So if, if if you look at what you know Donald Byrd and the music he was doing, radio had a big reason why he's at the forefront and being labeled that guy. When nobody else, every, it was everybody else was doing it, but he had the radio component that he, the music he was doing lent itself to early R and B soul radio formatting in a way that other right. artists didn't. So I'd I think agree. that's why he's at the yeah. forefront. Well, yeah, yeah. What, what I what I think Scoop is essentially saying is that he was successful. Yeah. At it, Miles Miles wanted right. to do that, but he did he he, he didn't but, connect. But is there a different Bird right. actually well, did? And, and, and Bird actually really did what he set out to did do. It the most, and then going back to what Nicholas you were saying about you know kind of being labeled a sellout as 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 jazz moving on to soul. You mentioned him earlier. It has to be George Benson. His transformation from being a jazz guitarist mm-hmm. to being what he became, you, it, you know, which was mm-hmm. far away from a jazz guitarist yeah. once his career was over, it, is. Is a leap that nobody's taken. Bird, did, you know, Donald Bird never did a leap. Uh, you know, Roy Ed, no, Stanley Turner, nobody ever made an Earth Wind. Anybody you throw in there, they their leap was not as drastic as his was. Mm-hmm. I don't think. No, I think you got something there. Well, here's a, the the thing for me to to, to refer to, to me, um, perhaps more so than uh, a transformation. I would say it's more likened to a rec- reclamation. That these guys were actually reclaiming and to me putting back together the chasm that jazz created because yeah, to me yeah. ultimately these things were never separate would have ne- never been separate like whose idea was it you know herbie hancock and james brown and and john coltrane could all all been neighbors mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. were neighbors. They lived in the same neighborhood. So what what makes somebody a jazz artist versus a right, soul right, artist right, versus right, a funk right, artist right, versus right. a whatever? When we look at something like Cold Sweat, that's that's so what? That's the same riff. So in the artist's mind, oh my God, these things were not. <laughs> I just heard just that in you? my head. <laughs> he's right. He's right. I just hear it, but he's right. That's the he's same right. thing. Crazy. He's right. Boom, boom, ba da it's the same the advantage thing. of having a musician on your show is he can turn around and it actually is play useful, you, isn't it? actually the play track. the shit for you live yeah. 
So 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 when we're talking about the greatest selling jazz album of all times and the most popular tune on that album, so what? That riff right there is one of the most um popular riffs within funk mm-hmm. music. So where's this difference? See, that, that's, we, that's, that's what my problem is with jazz. Like, there, there, there is no difference. It's all essentially the same thing. It all comes out of the black community. I got a question for you, Nick. Why is it, why was it determined to be a sellout move? Whoever it was, whether it was, whether it was Donald Byrd because he previously worked with Art Blakey or whatever. Why is it, and who, and, and a sellout through whose lens? I, is, I think there it was, a, do you think there's a do you think there's a sort of malicious element undercutting all of this to, to a large degree saying somebody's a sellout you know a musician calling another musician a sellout and i'm not saying sometimes it's not valid but it's on it's almost tantamount to when you're in the dozens with somebody and you say yo mama when you can't think of anything more creative to say about it <laughs> somebody drop a a, a, a a badass punchline on you and you well your mama you know, it, it's a very uncreative way to say, but but what they were doing was connecting. How somebody well, is selling out? Well, hey, they bought in. You know, they when when Bird was able to achieve something that other people so desperately wanted to do, that in many aspects they couldn't do. So, rather than say and you know give props and 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 uh, give him his credit for actually doing that. It's just easier to brand him as a sellout because we can't do it. So let's just dismiss him and say he's a sellout. Now he's making a lot of money. He's not in the jazz ghetto with the rest of us. Yeah. Oh, right. and that's that's if the obvious... musicians are speaking. But what if a lot of his criticism specifically came from music critics and the so-called you know jazz? But what police? do they know? They've never known. They've never known anything. Right. <laughs> they've never known anything. They've always been. Most of them are frustrated musicians. They used to try to play the drums. They tried to play this. They tried to play that. Couldn't really swing. And now I'm a critic. Now I'm going to be the person who, who's the gatekeeper and the tastemaker to decide who's great, who's not, who sold out, who's authentic, what's a real black, what's a fake black. Just like all of these critics now who want to talk about who has street cred, who doesn't. It's a power move and it's colonialism ultimately. Because to me, unless it's somebody, to me, the only criticism that really matters, and anybody's opinion can can be taken for a grain of salt to a certain degree, because it's just somebody's opinion. So it doesn't matter really who says it, even if Miles Davis says it, regardless of who says it, to a certain degree, it can be it, it, it can be an opinion. Um, outside of that, unless you're a bad motherfucker who's made bad mm-hmm. records and are a genius at your craft, you're not able to speak on it. And the difference is, I, I, I think I saw a piece, well, I definitely did see a piece uh, earlier today that talked about music criticism and how it's diminished. But like we're talking about these great days where music criticism, that I, I, I've never seen that day. And that goes for Leonard Feather and all of these cats. Yeah, they, he knew more than the average cat now. But unless you get on a stage and you can be a Charlie Parker, you can, then you can't, you can't be qualified to speak on it like, like we see with sports. Where we have a, 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 a people like Terry Bradshaw or Charles Barkley or Shaquille O'Neal making an analysis of the game and the players that I respect. 
somebody who studied journalism and who has a cursory knowledge of the sport, very questionable to me. So by that token, should we just unplug now and stop recording? I was going to say, I was just going to do the close. (laughs) (laughs) Being that person, that journalist, you know, um, I I, I feel what Nick is saying, but I also, um, I push back a little bit on that um, because criticism, I think, can be laid with people who do an accurate amount of studying. You know, and I think a lot of people don't do a lot of amount of study, but there are some critics who basically study whatever craft or art it is that they are there to criticize whether or not they can have contributed at the highest level of that craft. Um, and I think your criticism has to be made with some sense of intelligence. And we're living in an era where a lot of the criticism isn't, you know, because um, I, I really I don't take a fist to it, but it bothers me sometimes when I hear athletes say, well, if you haven't played the sport, you can't criticize. You know, that's like me saying to Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Terry Bradshaw, well, if you haven't studied the media, you have no place on this stage. Because now it's not about what you're doing on the field. You're trying to communicate in a way that I have studied. You know, I, we studied the media part of this. So now I can't say because you don't have a degree in journalism, you don't have a degree in mass communications, that you cannot be up here talking about something. You know what I'm saying? So it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. So, But I hear what Nick is saying. But I think there are some of us, there are some people who, when you study, you know what I'm saying? When you do study a craft, the study of art, you know, I think you can be qualified to criticize, but it has to be based on a sense of intelligence. I'm not saying that valid criticism or whatever can't come from somebody who is not musician, because most oftentimes I learn more about music and what I'm doing from somebody who don't play (laughs) shit. Because I don't create music for other musicians, ultimately. I create it for Mm -hmm. the people, and most people don't understand or not going, don't, don't play an instrument. I want to reach the people. I don't, and that's the problem with music today. Most, most jazz artists and the ones who are, who get the, the most love today are musicians who create music for critics. Not for the people. They're not the people who can go to a hole in the wall, the clubs that I came up playing in and rock the house like that's real chops when you can go into a ghetto hole in the wall a bar with a cat who comes off of work every day and orders his you know uh gin and tonic for you know a dollar fifty and a plastic cup and what if you can move those people you can move see, anybody Nick, th- that to me is the definition of a sell. we talked about definition of a sellout that's the definition of a sellout it's somebody who only makes music Mm-hmm. to please people who are going to criticize him as opposed to doing music for the people. And I think that has a lot to do with the music that we're talking and about. And when we talk period. about all the other things, it's like what's happened to hip hop now? It's not hip hop anymore. Black people don't own hip hop anymore. It has successfully been commodified and bastardized. We don't own the music anymore. And I think a large part of that problem is because black people came too attached to the idea that this was our underground music, that this was the true statement of our blackness. We've always been connected to that. And to me, where hip hop fucked up, uh, as opposed to other uh, transmutations of black music, seem to to, to to prosper is that hip hop became too attached to itself to like oh we become too commodified let's change gears that's what black people always done soon as soon as the white mainstream uh, America tr- attached itself to our culture and bastardized it we switched 
we did we haven't switched since yeah. hip hop. We've come up with nothing new since hip hop and it's been 40 years. We've never done that before. Whenever they attach themselves to jazz, bebop, cool jazz, smooth jazz, all, all these things we've switched gears and we have not left hip hop. We're still married to it. It's almost like we don't believe that we'll come up with something greater or evolve. We're afraid to evolve. But I, th- I think there's my thing is that I think it's getting to a situation where we're leaving in like the, probably the second generation of artists in hip hop wanting more concerned with being put on than they are creating music. That, that's what it, I, I want get to be put money. on. Right. It's almost right. That's it. That's exactly. It. It's not just get that money, but find some type of security. It's it's very similar to what happened to us in the midst of the civil rights mu- movement when we just uh, you know got comfortable with assimilating. You know, yep. hip hop is taking that same form. You ever all you have now are artists are trying to either get signed, get put on, you know, get a label to back them, and that's it. They're not concentrating on or, or you know basically getting a mixtape. They're not they're not they're not concentrating on creating. And advancing the art form of the music. And like Nick was saying, is that every other time musically, if you look at black music, the history of black music, there's always been some ones, not somebody, some Mm -hmm. ones, plural, Mm -hmm. that are always concerned about moving the art form forward. So what about second generation? Assuming this is true. uh, Assuming this is true, what about the cultural environment has changed such that no one is putting up their hand to do this? I'm volunteering to do it. Okay. I'm, no, I'm you doing are, it. I know, but, but, I know but you I, are, Nick, in a hip-hop context. But, it took, but that's the same thing. That's the problem, is that hip-hop has become what jazz right. is. The moment we, have, we, 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 we quarantine hip-hop off from black culture and say it's this other thing, then the danger, what has happened in hip-hop is the same thing what happened with jazz, is what I'm saying. The fact that they look at what I'm doing as separate, or anybody sees what I'm doing is separate. It is all linked okay. to the tribal. No, I agree. My point is slightly different, though. We have always moved. We've always tried to adapt. We've always tried to evolve from what was suddenly commoditized to something that was new, that was fresh, that was an elevation of the art mm-hmm. form. What about the what, yeah, what is what has changed about but the cultural I'm, environment or framework? Getting back to a, 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 an earlier theme, I think the internet has a lot to do with it. I think the the advent of social media. And the lack of consciousness of what it means to be black, that, that's gone. Like we, we only have, everything is a blurb. Everything is a meme. Martin Luther King is a meme. Malcolm X is a meme. Trayvon Martin is a meme. So now our blackness is throw on a hoodie on our Facebook page for a couple weeks and right. let's move on. That's right. a problem. But at the same time, what I'm trying to say, Jahan, is that I think that what I tried, what I said, I think it, I'm hoping is the answer to your question is that it's more of a mentality than it is anything else. I don't think, I think some people are trying to move the art form, but we're living in society that is where, where the foundation on that movement for what predicates what people do is whether or not they're going to find success or not. So you, you, you have exactly. a, a, a generation, the second generation of kids who can move the form of hip hop forward that are not doing it because in order to do that, you have to make a sacrifice and not move units. So when they don't see those people yes. doing that moving units, but, but that but that choice has always been present, though. Yeah, hasn't and it? You, that choice, but has in all, but all, but in all but, forms of, but in all but forms it, but of music, in order for it to move, somebody has to sacrifice. Somebody can't do it for the sake of 
making music. But why are people uh, 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 not doing it now where they were doing it beforehand? That sacrifice, that choice has always been present. I'm going to have to try something new. I think the choice is present. I think the decision, no, the choice is present. I think the decision for them to do it is non-existent in their behavior now. Do do you not? But the gap, but but the, the, the issue is, is that the gap is now wider than perhaps it's okay, ever that, been. That's fair enough. That difference between the difference between what it means to be poor and what it means to be middle class, what exists of the middle class and rich is wider. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 in the minimum wage in the sixties, if people if the minimum wage would have graduated to what what it was then, people would be making like twenty something dollars an hour. That's not the case right now. So what it meant to have a job at the local fast food chain or a job at the grocery, you could still work. You could still have a quality of life, whereas now it's like absolute squalor or get money. The hip hop edit, you know, you, you, you look at something, you look at something now like the Breakfast Club and all the interviews they have of who, who uh, who's who of, you know, from Jay-Z to Nicki Minaj to Gucci Mane to. Waka Flocka to, to all these people. Most of the conversation has nothing to do with music. In fact, they probably don't discuss the music really at all. It's all about who you're dating, some kind of Twitter beef, some <laughs> kind of whatever. That's, that's not what hip hop used to be. And that wouldn't exist if the internet wasn't there because you, you wouldn't have a, a format or a platform to even mm-hmm. air that kind mm-hmm. of laundry. That wouldn't be the problem. The, the issue would be this shit feels good. When I listen to it, this shit moves me. The, the, bounce in the, the bounce in the feel in black music is all but non-existent. It doesn't exist in any form of black music anymore except a few rogue people who have decided that, that that's what they want to do. And most of the shit that gets celebrated, most of the shit that makes money today don't have that feel to it, don't have that swing to it. And it's a liability. The more your shit is actually soulful and has that feel you're saying basically i don't want to make money to soldier for that beat to soldier for the feel that made him exactly the, the, the platform the internet platform that you're talking about that the i guess the you know a huge section of the internet is basically like the national Enquirer on a computer right i hear what you guys are saying but if circumstances are so bad now and if abject poverty is widespread and the minimum wage is down etc look at reaganism and at that time, you know, Public Enemy, NWA, sprouting out, almost, you know, whether as an active response or not, or whether just drawn out of the environment from Reaganism, etc., came out. Look at all the music that we had through the 60s, through the 70s, Vietnam, Nixon, etc., you know, protest movements, protest music. I don't know what this world is coming to. If circumstances are so bad today, and I agree with you that they are, why aren't why aren't people responding to that? But they are, but it's just very fucking few. Like I say, I look around. I'm not going to say I'm the only one. I'm in a dwindling minority. And to me, it's outside of what they're talking about. Like ultimately, to be honest, I don't give a fuck if they're talking about bitches, uh, bitches and hoes, cocaine, crack, any of that. Because what made hip hop powerful at its most powerful was the rhythm, was the feel of it. Regardless of what the fuck they were talking about Because if you get that rhythm You get that fucking life So the content of what you're saying We could debate about from an analytical standpoint But as long as you're giving somebody that rhythm You're feeding them 
regardless if you're talking about bitches or hoes or the cocaine or, or people shooting each other it's not the message that's corrupting people it's the lack of rhythm that's corrupting society and the more people get to, to where they're listening to that bullshit on a 24-hour news cycle of their headphones and their Beats by Dre's on the senseless music, beatless music that black art, artists are creating now. Because that's the soul of what that rhythm is anyway. It comes from black people. It's not to say white artists can't do it or be a part of it. But the moment Eminem started being able to, to be in the top 10 or number one MC, he's not. I can't refute Eminem's lyrical mm-hmm. ability. Lyrically, he's dope. But so is Dr. Mm-hmm. Seuss. That don't make him an MC. The thing that sets, makes an MC an MC is the flow. Mm-hmm. That rhythmic shit that feels good, that hits you in your, mm-hmm. that hits mm-hmm. you in your heart. Mm-hmm. So M- Eminem don't have that. He's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that he's not one of the most brilliant people who've wordsmith of not only our time, but of any time. I give him that. But he can't be, he can't, to me, he can't, now, he can't be in the top 10 because he has no flow. He can't be in the top 10. If I, if I may slide this into our roundtable topic, because we really are right on the money with it. We want to go around the table and build an MC. You've heard of Build a Bear. We're going to build an MC. Open categories, right? Open categories. I, I'll Please. go first. Mm. <laughs> this must be good. All right. I was hoping you go would. Go ahead, brother. I'll get my shit out of the way. Since since I'm in a hip-hop mode, I would have Rakim's flow as uh, far as voice, Chuck D, punchlines, Lil Wayne, metaphors, Busta Rhymes, and controversy, I say KRS-1. Oh, that's a good controversy pick. KRS. Yep. KRS-1. Jahan, you want to go next? <clears throat> um. Yeah, okay. Fine. Uh, my, I, I deliberately tried to choose people that I thought you guys wouldn't choose uh, just for variety because I think it's, you know, as, as Nick just laid out the template and that's the framework and you can't really, that, that would be a perfect MC. You can't really dispute that. So I tried to choose some people who are a bit, maybe a bit left field. So for flow, um, and it kind of, it kind of goes back to what Nick was saying about flow being the rhythm of hip hop and, and you know, the soul of it, if you like. Uh, my choice for flow is Daz from the Dog Pound. Um, <laughs> Dillinger, <laughs> Daz Dillinger, Daz Dillinger. That's right. And I think he, you know, he, he, it actually does flow. It literally does flow. Like each word seems connected. Um, each word seems connected to and dependent on the former. And all of his lines in that way are like an unbroken chain. He's one of the few, to me, he's one of the few MCs that approaches spitting as an instrument, not unlike Kane or um, or Rakim. I like Daz because it's, to me, it's it's a different rhythm. It's it's it's, it's very very it's a relaxed kind of rhythm. Um, and I think the way that he spits the words, they each one kind of just. As I said, it conjoins to the other. He he produced he he produced too, right, Jeff? He produced too, Daz yeah. produced famously right, produced yeah. you know supposedly much of Dre's uh, Death Row catalog. Supposedly. I think a lot of a lot of people have claimed to you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> to produce that. And then voice, I'll go with J Electronica. Of course, um, who? <laughs> of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> just because to me it's, it's just I like the tone of his voice yep. it's plain no Jay Roth's track <laughs> <laughs> there you go there Mr. You go. Mr. Mr. Rothschild like to me you know whatever it is about the brother's output whatever it is about his focus in life whatever it is about missed opportunities or closed windows to me you know he's got just a hip-hop voice it's plain it's basic um, it works with his flow etc and I think it would work well with Daz's flow so yeah I choose him the lyrical content and lyricism I think they're two different things I go with um, Andre 3000 um, out of Outcast probably my number one MC today for intricacy I go with J-Live I think he's a very, very academic, in-depth uh, lyricist. Uh, you know, you have to you have to study this stuff really to to get what he's saying. There's so many different layers and so many different lines, and very, very often one line will resonate with another line several lines apart. And for controversy, I go with uh, Tyler the Creator, which should need no explanation. <laughs> None whatsoever. Uh, me? Go ahead. Flow, Greg Nice. Ah, wow, that's a good one. Whenever Greg Nice rhymes, it's he, it's like Yogi Bear yeah. on the mic. It's always a good time. <laughs> it's honey. Dwick is like my best example of of his flow. And let's see, the voice. Um, I've got Keithy E, the guru. His voice to me is one of the most clearest in hip hop. I can't think of a record where I don't where I like I have to listen again just to understand what he said you know he speaks with clarity he, he and he doesn't really raise his voice like he rhymes slow even when he's rhyming fast exactly when you and you hear every syllable you hear clarity every exactly time. what he's saying punchlines I, I went back and forth I was kind of on the fence I, I wanted to get somebody new and I really really like Vic Mensa it's not necessarily punchline material because it's a different Styled, and I know that a lot of us, you know, we're, we're kind of we're naming classic MCs. On that note, real quick, there's a punchline phenomenon that's been going around the last couple of years, which I hate. Is where MCs, these new MCs, they'll drop the music purposely so you can get the little line that they slipped in. And a and lot of times, a it's line. a whack line, or yeah. it's a line that I can tell you spent like months, you know, working on that line, right. and it's really not that right. hot. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not right, and it's right. like, and it's like if you go back, if you go back to this, if you're a really hot MC, first of all, you have several of those lines, and you're not going to drop music out just because you got a hot line. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's something I noticed has been happening a lot lately. That I, I kind of wish they'd quit doing. Uh, metaphors. I'm gonna go with Rakim. Hmm. I start to think, and then I sink into the paper like I was ink when I'm writing. I'm fighting in between the lines. I escape when I finish the rhyme. So that's metaphors. And <laughs> next, I would take Tupac's controversy. Mm. But he was more controversial as a personality than an MC, right? Like his music nah. itself wasn't particularly nah. controversial. Like, hit him up, kind of. All right, hit him up was enough. little. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I yeah. think to Jay's point, I think he started like his life was controversial, and then his music just backed that up. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. the soundtrack Marvin-esque, to his right? controversy. Uh, Isaac, yeah. Marvin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, he bled through his music. Yeah, he's the Marvin of, of hip hop. My, I, I didn't, I, I kind of didn't follow the rules. I kind of went a little differently. So, oh, you know, I was it, but. Is this, um, a, is this an AB? No, no, no. <laughs> you can't do an AB on this one. <laughs> no, 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 no. The lungs of so and so, the kidneys of. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, voice run. For me, run had the most, to I me, the greatest you'd, voice, I knew the greatest you'd voice say in hip hop, period. Yeah, you know that. I knew you'd say that. You know, his voice is just, it, it, to me, it defines hip hop. If you ever know what an MC is supposed to just 
bottom line, all octaves, whatever. I thought because to me, he his voice was important, and he treated it like a singer. So mm-hmm. voice run, flow is two, but for two different reasons. Rakim, what Nick said, is to me the greatest as far as flow is concerned. But I didn't in building an MC. You know, I think to me Rakim is the perfect MC. But in building and in, in taking segments of that, mm-hmm. I didn't choose him for flow. I chose Biggie and DOC. You know, for various reasons, but to me, the way they their their flow was so unique, so different. Biggie's mostly the same, but DLC can go almost anywhere on any track. His flow was ridiculous to me. So yeah, flow, for, yeah. If you look at what was it? Uh, not Portrait of a at, Masterpiece to yeah, Whirlwind Pyramid. Whirlwind Pyramid, yeah, exactly. Whirlwind Pyramid yeah. compared that to Funky Enough. That's exactly. Like, wow, that's the yeah, same dude. Same dude, right? Exactly. So that's why you know DLC on flow or or grand finale. It was a toss up for me. It was a toss-up for me in between Biggie and Rakim. I thought Biggie was probably more um, intricate, perhaps, but I, I just gave it to Rakim because to me Biggie came out of that yeah, that type no, of thing. So yeah, you're right. You know, Biggie's flow is ridiculous, but I, you know, I'm with you. I don't think I don't think anybody's going to argue with anybody going with either one or anybody for that matter. But those two, I, I agree with Nick at the top. Let me get through. So I went with mine. Like who's when you're building mm-hmm. an artist, you know, building a hip hop artist, who's mine? Would you like that? And the mind, the person I want, the mind I want for my hip hop artist, for my MC, is the early Lupe fiasco. Mm. Not the not 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 this bullshit Lupe we got now. <laughs> not, the not early the, right. Not the Lupe you emasculated in print. Right. No. 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 The early. <laughs> you know. Mm. You know. Before the locks. Right. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, the early Lupe, where his mind was and the shit that he had on his mind at the time, I'll take that mind all, every day. So, uh, next, creativity, going with Q Tip. If you're mm. building an MC, you got to have an MC that's mm. extremely creative, you know, not just where mm. his mind is, but where his thoughts are, what he t- decides to do with words. Andre 3000 was real second close, but I, you know, mm-hmm. in listening back to what they've done from a creative standpoint, I lean with mm. Tip. On that one, um, cultural impact, oh, man. which I think is also important mm, in building MC for one. me. You know, KRS One. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, attitude and arrogance, which I think is at the cornerstone of any hip hop artist. If they're not arrogant, I've never seen an MC that wasn't arrogant that wasn't great. Mm. You have to have that. As it, yeah, it's integral. Right. So you know, uh, and, hmm. and 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 with that arrogance, a lot of time it comes attitude. Was Chuck was Chuck arrogant though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in his own way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe early, yeah, early yeah. on. But, 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 confident. It was an authoritative <laughs> type of thing, almost right. authoritative exactly. arrogance. Exactly, yeah. like challenge, yeah, yeah, challenge yeah, my yeah, intelligence. Yeah. I like that. But my arrogance slash uh, uh, um, attitude goes to Karis too. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. no pun intended. No pun intended, right? Karis right, right, too. too. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I thought you did that on purpose. I was like, <laughs> no, that was tight. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I'll do that right. Yeah. I write that. Um, <laughs> I also put down writing ability. You know, because one thing you have to, as an MC, if you're trying to build an MC, which not to be able to do, you know, spit off the top of your head, you, what you sit down and write, what you construct. And I'm kind of with Arthur on this. I, I, I'm not a big fan of his, but I respect what he's able to write. And if I was building an MC from writing ability, I'd go on with Kendrick Lamar. Oh, mm. okay. Kendrick, I think mm. if you, when he sits down and does I his thing. I don't believe it. it. I don't believe it. Oh my God. Uh, if you're listening to this show, after you finish listening to it, please go to SoundCloud and go to episode right. nine and hear this dude basically crucify me for saying that Kendrick is the next Andre 3000. Oh, you, you, no, see, no, no, no. Listen, please, I said, I'm, not, I'm still not with that. 
Oh my! I said writing God, ability. I, don't I didn't say delivery. <laughs> a voice. A voice. No, I, didn't, I, know, I didn't say I know, everything. Yeah, I didn't say flow. Creativity. I didn't say. Dude, I didn't say anything. No, no, scoop, scoop. You said Kendrick at his best. You said Kendrick's best line doesn't compare to an average Grand Poober line. <laughs> yeah, dude, come on. <laughs> That's true. Are you saying he's creative now? Oh, now you said he's creative after he's all successful. After I forgot all about that. Oh my god. God. He, got a, he got a court report. One of the greatest scoop moments on the show. Yeah, that was I hilarious. I, I still stand by it. I have to say something. It's like, a, as, uh, with all the hype um, Kendrick is getting for like sort of being the renaissance of a certain type of MC, for me, that's kind of what I look lo- as, as, as early mm-hmm. Lupe as to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. For me, like he, like he, he was really the embodiment of of that idea to, to my ears anyway. Um, let me get through this before Jahan has it, blows another gas. <laughs> um, versatility, <laughs> LL, period. Mm. Wow. LL, cool, Jay? Talk, talk about that a minute. Talk about that a minute. Let's see, I, I need love. Because I, I think you're right. He did cover a lot of bases. That's what I'm saying. He goes, you go for everything. You're right. But what I'm saying is that, look, right. when I'm saying versatility, it's not what he did on Wax necessarily, because I think he did a range from he could do slow, he could do it, you know, he could take it places. But, I'm speaking about from an MC situation, he could do it on record, he could do it on stage, he could battle, he could freestyle. Mm. If you take all the elements of hip-hop, what an what a MC's supposed to do, he had it down at every point. Like, Jay-Z is a great MC, but he can't battle for shit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, Nas is a great MC, but there's no intensity. Mom, Nas can't do a mama said. I mean, Nas can't do a mama said knock you out. No, not, he, he definitely can't do it on stage with an, you, with you an acoustic think, you band. You don't think Ether is he up can't, there? No, not on that level. Not man. on that level. I mean, doing it at a concert. Okay. I, was, I disagree, but I'm okay, talking about doing it at a concert where you got 30,000 people and your voice trained, you know, the intensity that LL can bring. All right, the there, there, yeah, I agree. They, these, these, but no, but you know what, Scoop, bro? I, and I know you'll feel me on this. Almost no one can perform live today. Almost no MC. I know can perform live today. And that's, and, but that's my point. And you look at versatility, you're asking to build an MC. I said versatility, being able to do everything. I think most deaf can. I think he nah, can perform. He, he can't mess with LL. No, nah, he can't. Not on that. Well, we're not, we're not voting for the most versatile, but I'm saying if I'm building verse, it. Yeah, if you build an MC, yeah, you can't yeah, really argue with LL. Yeah, right, that's what I'm saying. You can't. I mean, you can't go wrong with him. That's for damn sure. That's what I'm, you know. Good pick. And lastly, courage. Mm. Damn! Why didn't you? you man, you should have nice. circulated the. So, uh, my courage. <laughs> this is a dope. This is a dope. No, nah, my courage is Chuck D. There's never been an MC that, and that, and that to me, and that's why I didn't want to cut you off, nigga, about the arrogance. Uh, you know about Chuck D's arrogance, because to me it was more courage than anything. Now you got to be arrogant to be as courageous mm-hmm. as he was, but to say the shit that he said, you know, no, he said everything to assassinate that, the governor of Arizona. Right, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and, and to me, if I'm building the MC, wow. those are the qualities I want. And 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 that's to me what yeah. what what from my perspective builds a perfect MC. Now how you control and let that arrogance out, how you control and you know that arrogance is something different. You know if you can rein it in, if you could, you it know, is. there's a time and place where your arrogance have to show, but it has to be in you. Right. I mean, fuck. I mean, if we're honest, as a, if if you're unarrogant as a black man in this country, you're gonna <laughs> shit. You can't live. It's a problem. Right. You got a problem. problem. You got a problem. You're not. You're gonna be. You're not gonna be able to exist. <laughs> Um. All right, mine's as long as I don't know what, and I definitely didn't stick to the format, so bear with me. Okay, so if I could build the perfect MC, he or she, shout out to all my feminists out there, because none, none of y'all said she. <laughs> <laughs> he or she 
but have to have an ass like. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know your boy. You know this guy right here. You know that See, I wasn't, I wasn't even going there with it. I wasn't even going there with it. Yeah, yeah, you were. All right. First, first, his first thing is visibility. Right. <laughs> right. We ain't even talking about visibility. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Uh, if I could build a perfect MC, he or she would have the funky enough, unmistakably tough, formulaic, formulaic flow of the DOC. You know that was gonna be first. Right. He would have the passion and the soul of Tupac. The Grand Imperial, Blackwards, Dipped in the Nile, Written on Papyrus, Blessed by Isis, Metaphorical Ability of Brother J. See, nobody mentioned X-Clan, baby. X-Clan, I baby. You know, I thought about it. 19 years old. He will, own, he will own the motion, picturesque, vividly detailed, bullet-riddled, raw sex, and lyrically exquisite storytelling ability of Biggie. He will be able to spit pure fire while giving straight knowledge inside something you've never heard, like Chuck D., he would have the finesse, complex, and profanely beautiful flow of Ghostface Killer, which I'm surprised none of y'all mentioned. I can't yeah. believe nobody mentioned Ghost. He would have the ability to write timeless American poetry, articulated with a southern twang, capable of being printed in books or played at a strip club off an old national road like Dre. Circa 1994. I gotta yeah. put that There's an asterisk on that one Circle, Circa 1994 I you about not, not, not to diminish Dre now But I'm saying 1994 Southern Andre right No Dr. Yeah, Dre Yeah not Dr. Obviously. Dre Dre Andre. Not even Dre 3000 Dre <laughs> 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 Andre, right, Andre Benjamin, Benjamin. Andre Benjamin. Circa you know Southern playlistic That Dre um, He would know when it's time To leave the rest of y'all Chumps in the rap game And go and make some real money In Hollywood Like the Fresh Prince he would know how to disguise himself as a soul singer and still drop uh, doper hip-hop albums than most contemporary MCs like Erica Badu. He would know how to outdo D'Angelo by actually never even dropping an album and still becoming famous or like infamous Jay like Jay Electronica. I knew that was coming. And most importantly, if I could build the, most, the, the perfect MC... He would have Rockham's phone number. So if my perfect MC didn't show up for a gig, we could call we could call the actual perfect MC and keep shit moving. There you go. Hey, there you go. I love it. Can, can we, That's what I'm we, talking can, about, right? Isaac. See, I, I wouldn't want to have to follow that one. I'm glad I went first. <laughs> well, my, my thing is that I mean, so many of these cats. When I started thinking about, you know, why I would pick them, you know, Brother Jay, who I haven't actually listened to in a while, I need to go back and listen to him. And in fact, I keep going back. He was 19 years old. Right. 19 years old. And when I started thinking about him, just his flow just came alive in my mind. And then mm-hmm. the Grand Imperial dipped in now. Right? You know, it's like he just would like pack each line with so much stuff. Mm-hmm. And you talk about articulating like a uh, uh, guru. Like guru. Mm-hmm. I never, it's like he was saying some of the most complex things I'd ever heard. And I knew everything, every syllable, every word he said, I understood. But I have to go look up what he was talking about. Right. You know Despite Professor X. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, y'all talked about controversy. I'm surprised nobody said Flav. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, that, I, that, I, don't that. I don't want that. I don't that's want that. That's not controversy. You don't want that. <laughs> that's not controversy. <laughs> Chuck don't want it either. So. Right, right. That, that's not controversy. <laughs> I'm surprised nobody mentioned Ghostface because mm-hmm. uh, I think we we hold this guy in such high regard around here. The other Marvin of hip hop. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to categorize this dude, you know, into one 
area of, of, of what of trying to build something what what do you take from him and put right. in here mm-hmm. and leave everything you know what what do you, he sees so unique if aliens landed here and need to meet a rapper i would want them to meet ghosts yeah because i think he they would get be able the to whole re- they would get the whole thing and he'd be able to relate to them and like talk to them on a level right. you know what I'm saying? Right. it's like ghost would be that dude right. mm-hmm. and you talk about what the mc would look mm-hmm. like <laughs> that would be the dude that, right. <laughs> that they gold like. chains and all <laughs> gold chains gullies you know bathrobes <laughs> <laughs> This has been episode 26 of the Music Snobs podcast. We'd like to thank our special guest, Grammy winner and snob extraordinaire in his own right, Mr. Nicholas Payton. Nicholas can be found on the web at nicholaspayton.com and on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is Paynick, P-A-Y-N-I-C. You can find us online at themusicsnobs.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash themusicsnobs. The show library is streaming on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash the music snobs, Twitter handle total music snobs, and our new in the mix series. Uh, we've debuted this on Mixcloud, mixcloud.com slash the music snobs. And last but not least, show notes are in Flipboard on your iOS, uh, Android, and Windows mobile applications. And we'll see you at episode 27. Thank you. Man.